Thank you for being willing to come on today. I think that it's so valuable to just be able to start the conversation honestly. Um, would you mind giving um, listeners a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, for sure. My name is Matthew Hawkins. I uh, run around Chilliwack and also uh, film ads. So I do advertising with independently owned movie theaters in BC and Alberta. And uh, my main business is Hawkins Media that I run everything under. So Right. And how did that come about for you? Because I think we are so lucky to have individuals like yourself who are willing to understand the importance of story. And that's sort of what this podcast is about, is about sharing people's story and and slowing things down a minute and and saying like, okay, tell me about yourself and tell me about how you've gotten here and and what what brought you here and and where is your passion coming from? So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started um, in film? Ah, that's... uh... That seems like a really long answer to give you. <laughs> well, we got a couple hours. <laughs> um, so I talked about getting into into film uh, pretty much my my whole life through high school, uh, through college. Just really had a passion for film, independent film, um, and I had a I didn't know it at the time, but I had a big passion for entrepreneurship. And so uh, when I got through college, got into a job, uh, wasn't happy at all, wasn't enjoying my career. And, uh, and so what I ended up doing was someone showed me how to make something in Windows Movie Maker. And I saw how simple it was. And uh, we had a Canon PowerShot camera, which at the time, uh, you could only film 30 seconds of video. Uh, and then you had to stop and start again. So you couldn't like make these long video clips. And so I just started messing around in windows movie maker and, uh, realized how much I loved it. And, uh, next thing you know, um, I'm just making these stupid videos, just having fun, making videos of, uh, of my kids and, uh, realizing how much I'm enjoying it, uh, started making DVDs. Um, so I, I used to be a youth pastor. Uh, and I'd make these DVDs for our youth ministry and they'd buy them at the end of the year. And we always had like these little premieres that we do at, at youth group on Friday nights and had, had a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, I got approached by someone to, um, basically join his business, uh, quit my job as a youth pastor and join, join up with him. Uh, it was, uh, an investment into a business. So with money that I didn't really have, and so taking a, loan from the bank and just really uh, put myself out there and uh, started uh, just started making videos, started learning how to um, find stories, uh, started learning, uh, started basically taking uh, what I learned in college, which was the biggest thing that I got out of Bible college was the ability to learn. Um, Everything else kind of fell to the wayside, but just knowing how to research and look things up and, um, discover my own opinion and, uh, and then try and tell those stories of the things that I'm learning. Uh, that's what the biggest thing I got out of college. And so I step into this business and start having to, um, make videos about different organizations, different, different businesses and trying to tell their story. Um, all the while, uh, Donald Miller was a, a big author of mine that, that, that I loved. Um, and he has a whole, uh, he has a whole network system that he's built off of a book about uh, basically storytelling that uh, we all have a story to tell. Uh, there's a hero, there's a villain. Um, and I tell my kids this all the time that uh, 
nothing good in life comes without some conflict that a good story has conflict if the like you know frodo and lord of the rings like if he doesn't have all of that conflict to face to bring the the ring to mordor it's not a very good story like if frodo just walks straight to mordor and throws the ring in it's a pretty boring story yeah. but you throw in the villain and you throw in all these different aspects and the hurdles and challenges um it becomes a, a a very interesting story that you buy into that you're cheering for this hero and so um learning from donald miller um uh, a million miles in a thousand years was a book i read on the bus when i'd go to work and uh changed my life what is that book about um basically donald miller wrote a book called uh, blue like jazz and uh started getting interest um from the christian community um uh, but also from hollywood they wanted to turn this book into a movie and so he writes in the book about what that process was like and um the the process of having to turn this book that wasn't really like meant for film at all uh, but turning it into a story that they could tell in film and how much he was learning about story and the importance of story in your life my life everyone's life and uh and so it's i was looking at where i was at that point in my life and realizing how unhappy i was and uh that i wanted to change my story why why were you unhappy because i think that for so many um they're working at save on foods or they're working at a job they don't love and it's it's tough to take that leap i know people who are who are great artists who don't want to take the risk who don't want to invest perhaps in themselves and so where did that come from for you um so i went to bible college straight out of high school uh got married very young um and then went into being a youth pastor uh started this job with uh with a company and uh, ran that for a couple of years uh, with no experience no real guidance either and um and then basically wasn't making any money uh we were so stretched we were stretched so thin um that i ended up taking a job back at a church worked at that church for a little while uh went full time there for a year um and then ended up uh jumping back into business for myself but while i was in the church i was still um i was still running a business on the side i was still trying to get this theater advertising going um it was when i the first business that i jumped into um that's when i met karen bondar here in chilliwack um uh, she was running cottonwood theaters uh her dad had passed away and they needed help to uh run the theater and so karen stepped in this biologist um karen's an incredible woman and uh i pitched to her this idea of advertising before um before the movies here at cottonwood and that's where i got started with uh, film ads and so i started there and uh i was doing it on the side and some a manager sean greek who i owe a lot to anytime he's in town i try and tell him like make sure you let me know you're in chilliwack because i want to buy you a beer or dinner or whatever um because he found out about what i was doing here in chilliwack and he was a manager in salmon arm and uh had me come up to salmon arm they have five screens up there asked me about how we could get it all set up and uh from there sean got me connected with countless uh theater owners across bc and so what i was doing was when i was working in the church at that time was uh i'd work sunday to thursday thursday afternoon i'd hop in the car and i'd drive up to salmon arm i'd drive up to revelstoke golden down to trail 
and home. And so I do like this big circle. Uh, and so I'd leave Thursday afternoon and I'd be back Saturday evening so I could get set up for church at, uh, up in promontory and, uh, work Sunday to Thursday and do it all over again and still running this theater business in the evenings when I got home. And so it was, uh, I was doing the church stuff and running this thing on the side, trying to get this thing to build up and be enough. And then, uh, my daughter was born and, uh, the day before she was born, actually, I gave my resignation, uh, not knowing that she was going to be born the next day. And, uh, once she was born, I stepped into, uh, parental, uh, parental leave and, uh, kept visiting theaters. I kept trying to build the roster. I wasn't making any money and, uh, just trying to like get enough movie theaters into my, my roster of theaters that I could represent, uh, reached out to Cineplex media on Twitter, uh, of all things that, that was when Twitter was like starting to really hit its peak and, uh, ended up getting some one way or another, uh, the vice president of Cineplex media calls me out of nowhere. And, uh, cause I was talking with one of the guys that just did their media for them. I wasn't even talking to the VP on Twitter and, uh, I was stepping out of the shower. I still remember it. I had my towel on. I'm in my bedroom and I'm talking to the vice president of Cineplex Media about working together. So as soon as I got that phone call, um, I stepped full time into, into business for myself, which was 11 plus years ago now, which feels like, <laughs> feels like longer. What was that like to have that first conversation with Karen and feel like perhaps maybe you're in kind of similar circumstances. You both um, are working on something, um, facing challenges in it, um, and then this opportunity comes up. What was that like to kind of get started and have the door sort of open? Um, so with Karen, it was, uh, she had her, her uh, doctorate in um, biology, and she, she was a, a younger mom at that time. Um, I think when I met her, she only had two kids. And, uh, and so she, she was stepping into the business, not because she wanted to, but because she had to, she was helping out her family, helping her mom out specifically and, uh, started making these ads. Uh, they were terrible looking back now. I'm like, how did we pull that off? It was awful. Um, but that, <laughs> that's how it works. So you got to get yourself out there. You got to push yourself to at least try and fail. And so we started doing that. And then Karen approached me one time and just said, what do you think? Like, can we make some, some ads to go on before that are like biology based? Like, can I do something? And so one of the first videos <laughs> that we did was actually, um, Karen wanted to promote Sharon Gates when she was running for mayor. And so we did this like stupid dancing video of Karen and, um, it, it was a riot. People loved it. It was just really goofy. And Sharon's like basically standing in the middle of the frame and Karen's dancing all around. And, uh, and then Karen kind of got the taste for video. And so she wanted to start making these biology videos and, uh, Karen and I ended up like, just, uh, I don't know how many we made, uh, that woman's incredible on camera, by the way, yeah. she'd have like a two or three page script completely memorized and she I'd throw on the camera and she'd just go and, uh, incredible to watch her do it and pull it off. And so we made a video, um, a short about, um, the toads up on Ryder Lake, the migrating toads and, uh, made this short about it. And I think she submitted it. I don't know if it was her eye, but, um, to this, uh, national film festival, which was through discovery channel. 
and we ended up winning and getting a flight out to Toronto and being a part of this met uh, Robert Bateman and just really cool experience to be a part of. Um, and, but that launched Karen into like all the crazy things that she's done books and TV shows and she's traveled the world and what she's discovered. Um, I think Beatles was like, like it's crazy to see how her career has progressed where, um, her and I just kind of started with this like crazy idea that she had. And, um, so anyways, Karen ended up finding her passion through all of that. And then for me, um, uh, working at, in a church and just really unhappy with it, seeing a lot, uh, seeing a dark side to church that a lot of people don't see. And, uh, just, I was really disappointed and, uh, depressed and just wanted to change my story. And so the theater stuff started picking up and, uh, it just launched me into a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, the theater stuff was really just a, like a springboard into doing more video and more art and creation. That's amazing because she has really gotten comfortable in front of uh, video cameras. She's gotten comfortable sharing her story and, and uh, getting people excited. What did that mean to you to kind of watch her flourish? Like it's not, it's, it's partly because of you and like not to take any credit away from what she's done, but to be involved in that process. What did that mean to you to see her flourish and reach perhaps her full potential as a consequence of, of your guys's interaction? Uh, it, so we were really good friends for a while and then, um, you know, life happens. Uh, she was going through a lot of personal stuff and, uh, and things got more difficult and, uh, and we just kind of parted ways. There wasn't any ill there wasn't anything um, negative between us. It just, you know, just happened in life. Um, but I would still see her online and all the stuff she was doing. And it's been incredible. Like, you know, she goes on these cruise ships where she's doing lectures. And um, and I've, I've seen her here in Chilliwack at different uh, venues where she's speaking. Uh, amazing public speaker. So to, like, know her back in the days when she's, like, booking films and filling popcorn bags... Um, and talking to me about what she wished she was doing with her degree and then seeing where she is now. Um, it's, it, it, I'm really happy that I got to be a part of that journey with her, um, a part of her story. And so it was really cool to, uh, just, and even still, like I, you know, I still see her online and stuff she's up to, and it's pretty incredible to, to know where she started and where she got to and just how much work and that I got to be a little part of that. That's amazing. Now let's talk about your work because you talk <laughs> about how those first few, like uh, they, you've improved since then. And I think that that's, that's so valuable for people to keep in mind that when you start, it's not going to be everything that you want it to be. And you're going to look back. I look at back at my first episode compared to now, it looks completely different. Yeah. I'm constantly trying to learn and improve. It's about taking that first step. What was that first video like and what did you kind of learn from uh, going and traveling and, and connecting with different business owners? What was your mentality when you were doing all of that? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot to that question. Um, well, a couple things there. Uh, my first videos were awful. Um, you, but you have to start somewhere. Like, and uh, you, the biggest thing is just to start. Like, if you don't start, you're, you're never going to go anywhere. It's, uh, you know, it's that, that first step out the door. It's, um, you don't know where it's going to lead, but you're, if you can get excited about that first step and not be so worried about what the outcome is going to be, um, but just at least make an attempt 
That's the biggest thing. I, th- I find that so many people um, are afraid to take that first step. They get comfortable where they are. Um, even if they're not happy, they're still comfortable there. I think a lot of people have found comfort in being unhappy. Um, and so if you can just like take that step and just kind of push yourself, uh, that's the biggest thing there. Um, dissect that a little bit more. Uh, cause I agree with you. People get happy, get comfortable with their, their unhappiness. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more of, of your thoughts on that? Um, it's people get so just wrapped up in their day to day that, um, and they think about something that they want in the future. They think of something else that they want. And, uh, like for me, I, I've talked with so many people when I tell them what I do with theater advertising and, and people have said, Oh, I've thought about doing that. Well, the thing is like, you might've thought about doing that. Like, I don't, I don't claim that I was the first person to think about it. Um, but I was the first person to step forward and, and make an attempt at it. And, you know, I failed. I, I can't tell you how many times I failed, but you get back up again and you keep going. Um, so, you know, you take that first step out the door, you might trip on the, the doorway on the way out, but if you keep going, um, you just, you don't know what's going to be out there. And so for me, it was, you know, making those first videos, uh, those first pre-shows at Cottonwood, they were like five minutes long and they would loop like five or six times before every movie. So people saw the same content. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Um, I felt, (laughs) I feel bad for those people that had to watch it back then. Um, but not even the, like the pre-shows, but like some of my first videos were, they were just goofy and and really bad. Um, I actually made a, a short to pitch a, a movie script to uh, uh, Lionsgate Studios. Um, I don't even want to mention the name of it because it was it was so bad. It was just so bad. But um, I took a shot at it and I I went for it. Um, I didn't even have a finished script, and I sat in the uh, the the president's office at Lionsgate Studios in North Vancouver sat and talked with him for like 45 minutes. The guy was kind as can be the fact that I have an unfinished script and he's taking time to talk with me, uh, which again, that was all set up through Twitter. I, some of the connections I made through Twitter back in the day was it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, sat with him and talked with him and his thing was like, do the work, like just keep putting yourself out there. Um, you know, join the film festivals, go attend film festivals, see what's out there, see what's popular and just keep putting the work in. Um, and so I, I pulled away from doing that, um, like in terms of like my own personal art and storytelling and really applied it to, to business. Um, basically made a career and, uh, a full, full-time job for myself. Like this job never existed before and I made it for myself. Um, and it was just really by doing that, just putting myself out there and trying again and again and again, because eventually you should succeed. Like you, you do it enough times, you, you'll get better at it. Statistically speaking, it's yes. hard not to improve over time. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what was that like? Um, what pulled you to continue this? Because you could have said, I've done this a few times. I can take this in a different direction. Did you enjoy sharing small businesses stories um, through this medium? Because it's it's a really unique way of sharing a business's story. And when I think of 
uh, the businesses that I like, one of their biggest challenges is managing everything. And they're, they've got so much on the go that it's tough to imagine doing a, a, a little video, even if it's a minute long, two minutes long, uh, to have to hire someone, bring someone in and, and try and figure out what, what do you want it to look like? So how did you approach that? And what did you enjoy about it? Um, so I, I was doing the, the film ads advertising and I was starting to promote all of these local businesses in the different communities. Um, I, Karen sold the theater and I was no longer working with the new owner here in Chilliwack. So I wasn't even doing any work locally anymore. Uh, the closest movie theater I was working with was uh, salmon arm and then working with like, um, Terrace and golden trail grand forks, like all these other towns that are hours away. Um, but I was helping promote local businesses on the pre-shows and, uh, really enjoying it. And I went up to Quinnell to do some cold calling and I, uh, met Amy Quarry and Amy was, uh, Amy is, is an inspiring person for me. Um, I still follow her. I still have such a huge appreciation for her. Um, and she was running this thing called, um, or starting it up called small town love. And what it was, was a, a book where she would do professional photos, a brief write-up, um, and it had to be a locally owned business. It couldn't be like a chain. Um, it had to be something that was specific to Quinnell. And then at the back of the book was coupons for all these different businesses. And so she gave me a couple of those books, and I would just sit there in my office thumbing through it all the time, wondering how I could take something like that and apply it to here in Chilliwack. Because I was supporting all the local businesses here in Chilliwack, I, I loved what we had going on downtown at the time. Like everyone gets all excited about what's happening downtown right now. And it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It's it's amazing to see. Um, but 10 years ago, people weren't getting excited about downtown Chilliwack. People just had mo most people had negative things to say about it. Um, whereas I loved it. I love going down to decades. I know you and decades have a connection. Um and so uh, I loved going to visit the Button Box and uh, Mill Street's changed so much over the years. Um, and then uh, the Bookman, of course. And so I was doing, I was just hanging out, doing all these things. Like I take my kids down there for a walk on Saturdays and uh, wanted to do something here in Chilliwack and kept trying to figure it out. And one of the first things that I did was I reached out to uh, Amber Price at the Bookman and uh one of my first like local business videos that i did was with uh david short um the bookman and sat down with him and uh just shot it for free i told amber i'd like to come and just tell the bookman story and so that was one of the first videos i did probably it's it's got to be about 10 years ago now that one went viral right no that one didn't go viral uh the first and i, I don't like the v word uh but uh the first uh video that um that i did that went viral was actually uh the ultimate canucks fan that's on my <laughs> youtube page it was just a canucks contest that they were doing when youtube was brand new like it's it's crazy to think that youtube is only like less than a decade old yeah seems like it's always been there um but the canucks um hired this marketing company to create a fan contest and so that what they were doing was getting fans to upload um, fan footage, fan stories to, uh, YouTube and created this contest. And so I, I saw it and was like, ah, I'll do that. Um, and it was when I was with the first business that I was a part of that failed. And, uh, I just did it as a side project. And so I created that I had watched the departed the night before and then created this short the next day, um, where I'm talking with like a really bad Boston accent and talking about how much I love the Canucks. 
and like you have this whole rivalry with the Canucks and, and the Bruins back in the day. And so it was like ridiculous to think like this Boston speaking fan uh, is a Canucks fan. And, and so I made this short um, and ended up, it ended up getting really popular. Uh, CTV News came out to, to interview me about it. I ended up getting a tour of Rogers Arena, GM Place back in the day. Um, I, I didn't win. I'm still bitter that I didn't win the contest. I was told, I was told in the elevator by the marketing director, you're a shoe in to win this. And then I won nothing. And they felt so bad that they ended up sign, signing a, getting a Canuck signed hat sent out to me and a couple other things. And, uh, uh, that was the first video I did that was viral, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but the first Bookman video that was viral was, uh, all about them books, which was a Megan trainer, um, Megan Trader uh, parody, and uh, we filmed it in the Bookman after hours. Um, and I remember it was a really hot summer night, um, and we just—I uh, watched Megan Trainer way too much, <laughs> like watched that music video way too much, because we were trying to match like all the pastel colors that were in it and sort of the style of the video. And um, it was totally ridiculous, but so much fun. And uh, that that video just like it went crazy online. Why don't you like the word viral? Uh, like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like even like the whole trending thing too. Like, it's just, uh, I'm just, I, for me, um, like even when I showed up here today, you want to take my photo. I, I don't necessarily like the limelight. I enjoy being behind the scenes. I enjoy being behind the camera. Um, I don't have a problem stepping up in front and talking with people. I actually enjoy public speaking. Uh, but for the most part, I like to be able to be behind the scenes and kind of the um, pulling the puppet strings instead of being the puppet. So uh, the idea of viral is it's just I'd rather be the, the quiet uh, creator in the background that made it. But you don't necessarily need to know that <laughs> I was the one that did it. So, right. I think that that's something that so so many great people kind of have that um and like i worry about their stories not being shared like um that reminds me of like how tim McAlpine is uh these people who are okay with not having the spotlight on them and i think that it's really important to recognize people like yourself and people like tim because those are the stories that are so easily forgotten and we watch the videos and and we have the memories um but we forget who who brought that to life who were the people behind the scenes building everything up to make that possible what has that experience been like for you ah uh, tim mcalpine uh, tim mcalpine's like a business he's business mentor for me good friend too um been there through a lot of stuff with me uh and so, yeah, like he's a prime example of someone that's just uh, like the guy's genius um, and a quiet genius. And uh, I love being in meetings with him because when he talks, um, everybody listens and he's usually got something poignant and, and interesting and and just very relevant to say. And so watching, being able to watch him and, and for myself kind of grow up in business. Um, to uh yeah it's i don't know i i think part of its personality too um tim's a, very much an introvert um people have a hard time believing that i'm an introvert just because i do put myself out, i do put myself out there a bit um but i find being around people draining and so i think that's part of why my per with my personality is why i enjoy being behind the scenes on stuff um i like to make stuff happen um but it doesn't necessarily mean that i have to be the the limelight of it like so for around chilliwack i've 
I debated a lot whether I'm going to put my face on it, um, put my my name on it. Um, Can you tell us the background of Around Chilliwack? How did that come about? Um, and then tell people uh, what it is. Yeah, so Around Chilliwack is uh, it, it's a boutique website for local businesses um, for where to shop, where to eat, and things to do in Chilliwack. Um, but what it started out as was Around Town in Chilliwack, which... Um, I was on the creative commission, which used to be the film commission here in Chilliwack. And I was meeting all sorts of interesting people, um, even just like on my, you know, going out for lunch and just getting to know people and getting connected through, through Tim. Uh, Tim's very well connected in this community. Um, and so I was just meeting all these interesting people. And I, I was doing a podcast already with uh, another failed business um, called Fishing Guys. And so we were doing this, this fishing podcast once a month maybe twice a month at times. Um, and I got into that because I was listening to Kevin Smith a lot. I was watching comic book men on uh, a, was it a and E? I can't remember, but um, started watching comic book men and which is about Kevin Smith's store over in New Jersey and uh, loved it and saw that they were getting their own podcast started. And Kevin Smith has like this network of podcasts. Um, Smodcast, I think is what he calls it. And so I was listening to a lot of Kevin Smith and just loving this idea of running a podcast. And so I was starting up this fishing guys thing. I thought it'd be a lot of fun to podcast just our fishing stories, just have different guests on. And and it got really popular. We, we had people in Nashville and Chicago, Vancouver Island, um, Toronto, like all sorts of people leaving comments and emails and listening to us. And so it was a lot of fun because we were just literally we were just drinking beer and talking fishing. And that was coming to an end and I didn't want to stop podcasting. So I was meeting all these interesting people and I thought, what if I make an Around Town in Jilliwack podcast? I don't even remember how I came up with the Around Town name. And so bought the domain aroundchilliwack.ca, um, launched the podcast. I put all, I basically recorded and held on to all the podcasts until I think I had eight for the first season. And, um, once I had all eight, I just started releasing them one week after the other. I might've even released a bunch at the beginning and, um, did that for the first season. And Tim and I started talking about it more and more. And, uh, cause I was working for Tim at the time he was running his, uh, young and free credit, uh, credit union program, finance program. And, uh, he had all these spokesters that were working all across North America and, uh, he needed someone to do some video coaching and mentoring for them. And so he hired me to, to help with that. So I, Tim and I would always, and it was always a joke with us, like, you have a minute? And it was never a minute between the two of us. It ended up being 15, an hour. like, And now it's always like if I stop in there at co-work, um, it's, it's a whole tour of the whole building because he's going to show me like how he's like completely revamped it for the upteenth time. <laughs> so... Um, so I got to spend a lot of time with him talking about business and what I was trying to start. And, uh, he was the, he was the guy I have to give him full credit for this to just drop the town part and call it around Chilliwack. And so started with the podcast and, um, you know, interviewing people like, uh, Jason Lum and John Martin and Trevor McDonald and Sarah Sovereign and just some really key people in our community. Um, and just getting them to tell their story what they were doing and how they got there kind of similar to what you're doing. And, uh, from there, uh, on that podcast, I would always ask people, where's your favorite place to go for lunch? And then I started looking around online, um, trying to find something that was just a good guide for Chilliwack. 
and not really finding a lot. You know, you'd find stuff from like Expedia. It's like, well, I, I don't want Expedia to tell me where to eat in my own community. And so uh, it was St. Patrick's Day from Corky's. Uh, I used to, Corky's, I used to joke around was my second office because I'd show up there at like 1130, get a pint of beer and some lunch. And I sit there with my laptop in the booth. It was always the same booth too. If somebody else was sitting there, it was always disappointing. But uh, yeah, I'd sit there and I'd work on around Chilliwack. And so I launched it from Corky's on uh, St. Patrick's Day. It'll be four years this March. Uh, Yeah, just hit publish on the website and put it out there. And, uh, so basically just going from podcast to just a simple question to, we're going to have a full website to, okay, now how can I make money from this? <laughs> Cause majority of what I do for around Chilliwack is not paid. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it comes from passion for, for our community and my love for Chilliwack. Right. Can you tell us just a bit about your, I'm always interested to know people's approach with, with podcasts. Um, I, I'm like a student of the game. Like I'm interested in how did you go about choosing guests? What was your process for developing questions? Because uh, a lot of this was just kind of in my head, trying to figure it out, hoping for the best. Yeah. So how did you go through that process? Uh, winging a prayer. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, when I started, I would, I would write down questions. Um, it's similar to like what, not quite as, as extensive as you, uh, my, my goal when I started the podcasting, just because I had already been doing it with fishing guys, um, my goal with starting the podcasting for around Chilliwack was just keep it around 45, 50 minutes. And that's, that was my goal to get to that, that mark. I wanted it. So it was like long enough that, uh, you go for a walk on the Vetter trail or you're mowing your lawn just the, that right amount of time, or you're doing like a commute out to Abbotsford or Langley. Um, you could just listen to it quick and short. Um, not overly in depth. I wasn't trying to get like into the nitty gritty of stuff, more like just trying to highlight people that I was interviewing. Um, so that was my, my goal for, for the podcast. Um, and then, so yeah, I started with like the whole, like researching people and, and doing questions and having it all prep beforehand. And then as I got more and more comfortable with it, um, and my love for craft beer, it just really became, let's sit down for a beer and you and I are going to have a conversation. We're just going to, and people are going to listen in. And, um, and it's, it just kind of developed my skills in terms of talking with people and asking questions and, and really listening to them and then trying to pull out a little bit more information from them. Um, I did, I, I learned that I had a skill set that I didn't even know I had. Yeah, I think that that's so valuable because I find myself doing that as well when I'm talking to people. There's immediate follow-up questions that come into my mind um, and it's given me a more deeper appreciation for for people, their stories, um, and for actually listening with like an intent rather than, um, I don't know, like trading back and forth frustrations like, oh, how's your day going? Oh, like I have this going on. And then you're like, oh, yeah, well, you think you got something bad. I got this going on. And like having those kind of, I don't know, negative conversations or, or very short sighted conversations, actually taking the time to go like, this is an interesting person. Let's slow down and and hear something more and, and learn. And hopefully others can learn and benefit. And I think of people who don't have good family lives, who don't have like a loving community, who don't want the best for them. They don't get 
positive conversations. They don't get to see what it's like for two genuine people to to discuss things and to to just be able to be involved in that and see what a healthy conversation looks like where your family member isn't yelling at you or judging you or or getting mad at you for not doing the dishes or something where you can actually just feel valued and be a part of that I think is is so encouraging for other people. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you go about um, developing those conversations? How did you choose your guests? Was it just um, staples in Chilliwack? Or um, did you have something in mind of like, I really want to understand how they got here? Or, or I want to understand how they started this business? Or, or what was it for you? Um, well, there's two things there that I want to talk about. Um, the first, I think, having been in the church for so long, um, and listening to people and sitting um, sitting next to people in the hospital and then going through difficult things with my ex-wife and I, um, like uh, when our third daughter was born, um, we had some complications before she was born and nobody from the church came to, to visit us in the hospital. Nobody came to visit us at the house. And uh, that really, that, that was a tipping point for me. Um, but just like, just seeing the, the human side of people and uh, just seeing how how much we all long for connection, especially like through this whole uh, pandemic, um, just learning how important the people in your life are and how you're taking care of them. Um, so that that time in my church, I think I learned how to um, to listen to people. Uh, a youth pastor that I interned under, he always had this way that he would say um, he would ask you how you're doing. And, you know, typical, you'd be like, oh, I'm fine, good, whatever. Uh, and then he'd look at you and be like, no, like, how are you doing? And it was that second one where you're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it right now. And he's like, no, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about it. Um, so I think that's where I, I started to learn how to um, see past those surface answers and go, no, 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 no. We're going to dig a little deeper here. Uh, and so I started applying that in the podcast, like just because it was a conversation. Um, I wanted to get to know the real person. I didn't want to get to know your social media side. Everybody has these perfect pictures on Instagram. I'm guilty of it too. You post these pictures and you look like your life is all together and everything's peachy keen, but deep down, um, there's something under there that, that people aren't dealing with. I think more and more people are realizing that. And so, um, sitting down for these podcasts with people, it was a conversation to kind of dig a little deeper and get to know the real person. In terms of picking people, um, it was kind of just pulling names from a hat. Um, some people I was I was meeting because I was just starting to work with uh, John Martin. He was our MLA at the time. And so I was doing some video work with John uh, just on contract basis. And uh, thanks to him, it kind of forced me out into the community a bit more. Um, I was on the creative commission. So that was forcing me out to meet more people and build a bigger network. And so... Um, I just kind of started to knock on people's doors that I thought, hey, this person might be good to have on the podcast. Um, you know, people like Tim McAlpine's been on there, Ron Laser, um, John Martin was on there. Um, just, uh, and I should mention when I first started the podcast, um, that those first eight episodes, um, Ron was uh, a supporter. He was a, he'd advertise on the website and uh, Tim McAlpine advertised as well with his cohort Chilliwack and uh, you'll still see them on the website now because they're they've always been big fans and big supporters so I have huge appreciation for those two guys 
That's amazing. Um, can you tell us what it was like to be a pastor and to be there for people during those moments? Because again, I think that those are the moments where we we kind of we brush over them. And um, for you to be there during those circumstances, and it sounds like not not be supported yourself in tough times. What was that like for you? What was the learning curve through those moments? Oh, here you go. Just uh, really digging into the heavy stuff. Um, so I went Bible college right out of high school. Did that for five years. It was four and a half, really, because I took a semester off. And and then I changed schools in the final year. So if you're going for your bachelor's in anything, don't change schools in the final year. It's a real pain in the butt. Um and then I was involved in church for I think 11, 12 years. Um, one of the when I first became a youth pastor here in Chilliwack, my first year, uh, a gentleman was on his deathbed here at Chilliwack Hospital. Uh, I still remember that, and uh, he asked for me specifically. Didn't have any connection with him. Hadn't really spent any time. I knew who he was, um, and but he asked me to show up at the hospital. And so a couple days before he passed and he knew he was going to pass. Like the hospital told him like, it's just a matter of time and sat with him for a couple of hours. Um, that's a, that's an interesting, interesting way when you're what I was 23, 24, maybe. And you're sitting with a man who is reflecting back on his life and he wants to take time that he doesn't really have much left of and he wants to invest it in, yeah. Wow. And so moving forward, it sounds like you were going through some sort of complication with, with your family and with one of your children. Yeah, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't until I was 30. Yeah, so that was years later. So just a young youth pastor, um, just, you know, green. <laughs> um, and so you're sitting there with a man that's reflecting on his life. Like that's, that, that was probably the first moment in church where I started seeing the the human side, like put away all the church politics, put away the, you know, the so-called importance of Sunday morning and let's focus on life and living and, and appreciating what you have and, and what you want to do. Like it was, there was a, it's a moment you just don't forget. So. Yeah. And I think it's something that I don't know why it feels like we struggle with. Like, uh, I don't know if it's like our own fear of not being here, but like we forget that we like we treat people in the grocery store or in lineups like they like they're not going to pass away one day. Like they're, they don't have a story like they don't have hardships that they don't have some sort of value. And I think we're really lucky that our society is based on the idea that everybody has value. Um, I think that sometimes we forget that that is a, a Christian idea to start with, that that's where it kind of emerged for our legal system, that there's something that we can all bring to the table. And when people don't, when they can't, we all miss out. And mm -hmm. I don't like people often talk about like racism or, or judgmental based on prejudice. But you have to remember that for those people that are having that, that small mindset of like, I'm going to judge you based on the color of your skin. It's like, I don't, I don't care about those people. I feel bad for those people mm -hmm. because if you can't see that everybody can come to the table and bring value, 
if you can't see that you're missing out like i'm yeah. i'm not at a disadvantage you're yeah. at a disadvantage and i think sometimes we get we're scared that we're going down a path and oh no what if there's more people who have racist mindsets well, we have more short-sighted people that's not that's not something i need to worry about yeah. because i want everybody to reach their full potential because I benefit and you can look at it selfishly. You can think, uh, at least for indigenous communities, if we have more indigenous people starting restaurants, well, you get to try more bannock, you get to try more wild salmon, you get to try more candied salmon, you get to try our culture, our food. And wouldn't that be great for you to be able to experience that? That's not taking away from anybody yeah, else. Exactly. And so like, I think that it's important that we just slow down sometimes and we appreciate that even if it's the person working at Save On Foods that you think, oh, like this person's a little rude. It's like, maybe that person's having like, they're taking care of their family members. You don't know the, the crap they're dealing with outside of what you see that they're carrying, that they're still getting out of bed, showing up to work and doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we want to judge, well, I didn't get the best service. And it's like, right, but maybe it was a huge accomplishment for that person to stay sober that day to stay on their path, whatever it is. And maybe that was them conquering one demon, but they couldn't conquer them all. Right. And so just having that, I don't know, humility to understand that we're all going to be on that bed one day. It was interesting when the pandemic first hit and we went into lockdown, um, when people, you, people had like an appreciation for those workers, right? Especially at the grocery store. Um, there are some people that definitely I, I think that people that are like uh, small mindset, like you were talking about, um, for the most part, I don't think those people will ever change. Like, I think it's just so built into them, uh, whether it's environment or uh, family, education, whatever it is. Um, I just don't think they'll necessarily change. Um, that doesn't mean that we just have to give up on them, but it's just accept that fact and still be loving and caring towards everybody. Um, but when that pandemic hit, um, there was an appreciation for those people that were working, you know, the frontline workers, as we called them. Um, and I really wish that that would have stuck around more because people were like, you know what? Uh, we don't know what this virus is going to do. We don't know how it affects people. We don't know how it spread necessarily at that time. And and these people are still showing up at the grocery store. And I remember my even myself, like stopping and just saying, thank you, like, you know, I've got kids to feed. I've got to put food on the table still. I don't necessarily want to go out to the grocery store and, and pick stuff up. Um, but those people are there working eight hours a day dealing with a really big unknown at that time. And uh, people were showing appreciation to the, what they were doing. And, and I'm just highlighting grocery stores, but like even restaurants and uh, gas stations, like these what people might look down on as menial jobs. Um, they became crucial all of a sudden. And I, I really wish that that was stuck around where people would, um, you know, appreciate the, that you don't know their story. You don't know, like you said, what's going on in the background, but they're showing up to work um, because somebody has to. Yeah. I also think of uh, when we were all jingling something at, I think it was what, seven o'clock? Seven o'clock, yeah. And pots I, and pans and, yeah. And you just, you think of like where we are right now and, and there is a frustration about mandates and whatever side you land on, you have to remember that for, for a large majority of people, they were stopping at that 7 p.m. and jingling something mm -hmm. out of appreciation. And so I think as much as we might want to point out the frustrations we have with with whatever population you're concerned about, that we like the same people who could have been jingling those things at 7 o'clock 
could be the same people who are driving down a road frustrating you the next day. And so to remember that people are dynamic, that it's not one population is pure good and one population is pure evil. It's that we're, we're both. We're, mm-hmm. we, that's the idea behind the idea of yin and yang. We're, we're both with inside us. Our community is both good and bad. Uh, we're all imperfect. We all have frustrations that we want to let out. Uh, we feel misunderstood or not heard. And uh, I just want people to remember that if you have a population that's angry or frustrated and they're voicing that, that it's important for us not to perhaps look down at them, that it's important to put ourselves in their shoes and say, okay, what if that were me? And what if I was frustrated about this? And and would I want people looking down on me in those circumstances when I'm voicing something that you may may or may not agree with? But it's, there's a potential there that the same people who are angering you are the same people that you were jingling something with six months, two years ago. And it, it feels like we have sometimes like such short-term memory that we forget that we did all come together as a community during that time. And and for sure, people have made mistakes along the way, but the hope that we can do better, that we're going to fall down, we're all going to make mistakes, and that we can all apologize, right or wrongs, and try and move forward in a better direction is something I think we, we need to hold more dear. We need That needs to be like the cornerstone of our community is that um, people in our community are going to make mistakes. And we can sort that out, apologize, and hopefully move together in a better direction as a community. But to look at other people as different, um, as wrong, as as small-minded, as as time to get rid of those group of people, we, we miss out on the value they can bring. Maybe their expertise isn't in politics. Maybe their expertise isn't in the issue that you hold near and dear to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just appreciating people and that, again, they're all going to be on that bed one day and they're going to want to feel love and care and support and they want to feel understood uh, nobody wants to leave a legacy of hate behind when they're laying on that bed sure maybe that one day in the grocery store they're comfortable with with getting mad at you or yelling at you or being inappropriate but at the end of the day you being able to see those people and recognize that maybe that person was mean to someone 10 years ago but that's not who they are in that moment and they're probably scared and they just want to have that connection and i think it's it's just valuable that you were willing to share that yeah, um, I my my philosophy, my my take on religion, and it's changed so much over the years. But really, coming down to uh, just being a good human, like don't have ulterior motives, don't have uh, this this idea that if I'm if I'm good here, I'm going to get something better later. Like that's not how karma works. Um, that's not you. You know, if you're if you're doing it because it's out of selfish reasons then it's not probably not a good thing to be doing in the first place like do it because you it's just a genuinely good thing to do um so that's kind of where i've fallen over the the last few years is and like don't get me wrong um like i've i've been an asshole like countless times there's times where i I look back at it and i regret it big time um things that i've said or done but um unless you're willing to learn from it, accept it and, and move on and be better next time. Um, that's the biggest thing is, you know, be a, be a good human. That's really what it's come down to for me is just treat people the way you want to be treated. And, uh, you know, you don't know everyone's story. So be good to people because it's a, it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do.
Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey? Because I'm on a bit of a journey, I guess, myself. Um, I'm, I was raised as a Roman Catholic uh, by my non-biological grandmother, and I've become interested in seeing the relationship or the overlap between Indigenous history and culture and, and our belief systems and the overlap between Christianity. And so uh, one of the ones that I like to talk about is Indigenous people on Sonny McKelsey talks about salmon ceremonies. And we have this tradition of um, taking uh, the first salmon of the season, putting a little piece into uh, a ketchup container and making sure as many people in the community can have access to it as possible. Um, and we take all the bones, we put it into a basket and we take those bones and we return it to the river and we give thanks for um, the salmon and we, we say a prayer. Uh, to me, that's similar to grace uh, for for uh, Christians and Catholics of saying thanks before your meals. And when I think of what's kind of taking place with um, the the vegan community, I'm not sure the vegetarian community, when they say I can't um, be okay with killing something in order for me to live, I, I sympathize with that perspective. And it's more, I'm fine with people choosing that route. But I think of how other traditions have tried to deal with that challenge, that guilt that you feel of killing something for you to live. And so I think that there's there's things to learn from these belief systems or these values, regardless of whether or not you believe there was an actual person who actually existed, who we can document, was walking around 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. That, that seems perhaps besides the point. And you mentioned earlier that uh, when your child was in the hospital, that was kind of your perhaps ending with... Uh, I call that my tipping point. Yeah, for it sounds like organized religion, like being in a building and having that relationship with one church or something like that. Can you tell us about what what your decision was in terms of uh, how you wanted to move forward when people weren't there for you? Uh, just talking about salmon there, like one of the things, like I was big into fishing. Uh, still, I still love fishing. Um, I just don't do it as much anymore. Um, but you just look at the life cycle of a salmon. Right, especially like you look at um, pink salmon or chum salmon, um, you know, in the good days, just how many there are that they, you know, they're born in the river, they go out to the ocean, they get bigger, they turn around, they come back to the same spot that they spawned and die. And it's all the carcasses, the bones, the flesh from just how good that is for the river system. The whole ecosystem of the river is dependent on those salmon going out to the ocean, getting healthier, getting bigger, coming back, and then feeding back into the system. It's this life cycle. Um, and so watching that is, uh, you know, it's the it's the same thing like when you're talking about like vegans and vegetarians too. Like, I don't, I don't, like if that's what you want to do, I don't care. I, for myself, I love barbecue. I love making a big platter of meat and like it's – that's that's my thing like that's okay um but like for them like you know there's still a life cycle that um you know planting a garden and watching it grow and learning how to regrow what you just drew from it and that, that there's still a life cycle involved there it's not like the plant just come like shows up out of nowhere like those seeds were developed from somewhere um those flowers like those trees like it's it doesn't didn't just show up there's a life cycle involved there um, so just having that appreciation for 
just life in general, I guess. I don't know. We're getting way too deep for me right now. No, but I think you're right. I talked to um, Andrew Victor about this, and he's a pastor at the Chilliwack Native Pentecostal mm-hmm. Church. Yeah. And he talked about how it's so easy for people to see the beauty in the river, in the mountains, in the ecosystems, seeing an eagle, seeing a bear. And then you look at a person and you go, oh, that person is just a loser. Like, there's no, they're no good. Right. And it's like, why, don't, why, why is there this drop off between how you appreciate the environment and bears and wildlife and then you look at people and you go i'm done with all these people and i'm just gonna go move up in the middle of nowhere and i'm, I'm done with that and it's like yeah. um i think that's important that we remember that we're all part of the ecosystem yeah no totally uh and our life is what 80 to 100 years maybe now right like so you look at the grand scale of things it's it's minuscule right like so uh if you can accept the fact that you're going to be that you're born and you're going to be dead like those are two guarantees on life, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Um, but that, uh, yeah, that, that, that fateful day will come for all of us. And if you can accept that fact and then live your life to make it the most, you know, it's, it's key. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that tipping point for you? If I can just keep pulling it. So you don't, uh, yeah, I don't know if you're picking up, but I'm trying to like hide away from this right now. Uh, I don't talk about, um, my, my faith journey a whole lot. There's a few friends that I have spoken to about with, uh, and I'm comfortable talking about it here. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's something that I've shied away from talking about just because, uh, it wasn't the easiest time. Uh, it wasn't the easiest to, uh, to walk through and to learn and, um, it, uh, you know, there's a lot of hurt and just, uh, just a lot of, uh, disappointment that came out of it. So, um, that, that tipping point was just, um, I already wasn't overly happy working back in the church again. That's not where I wanted to be. And so when that happened with my daughter, um, there's already conflict happening at the, in my job, it wasn't a good, uh, good work environment. Um, my my former boss, well, I had two bosses and my one former boss who oversaw me the most, um, ended up being, uh, he ended up facing four charges for child pornography. And so he was someone that I had no respect for when I worked for him. I didn't have a choice to, but to work for him. And, uh, and I always thought that something would have happened with him. I thought something like he just, he just, I didn't get a good vibe from him from the moment I started working for him. And, uh, and so uh, that was always interesting, having having heard all everything that happened with them. Right. And so um, it just it was it was a series of of events over over a decade, uh, four different churches that I was a part of, um, just a a lot of um, similar experiences across four different churches, three different denominations, and just um, seeing just this side of church that I didn't like and uh, not not seeing it line up with what they were trying to teach through scripture and uh, and just I never fit I didn't grow up in the church I didn't start attending church till I was 18 um, and even then I just I was always kind of the the outcast I just I never you know I swore too much I like to drink beer um, I just wasn't I didn't fit in with what they expected for not just a church attendee, but a church leader, um, you know, getting reprimanded for things that were completely ridiculous back in the day when I think about it. 
um, seeing senior pastors doing things that they shouldn't have been doing that they'd sit there and tell me not to do, but then they'd go on and do it themselves. Um, so it was, it was a, just a series of, event of, of events. And then when my daughter, uh, when we had that issue and it was on Easter weekend of all weekends too, which is a big uh, Christian, uh, weekend. And, uh, that was the point where I was like, okay, enough's enough. Yeah. And so started making basically an exit strategy to, to really get out of there. And so, um, when I left, I did, I would try and go back to church, uh, ended up having some major anxiety attacks while sitting in church, just like handshaking, couldn't move, trouble breathing, heart rate was just all over the place. So I just stopped going, uh, to the main service on Sunday mornings and I'd hang out with, uh, with my daughter in Sunday school. So I'd be hanging out with these like two year olds who like, if you, if you just want the pure joy and excitement for life, just hang out with some two year olds. They, you know, they, there's no prejudice. There's no, uh, preconceived ideas of who you should be and how you should act. Like, you know, a boy that likes trains is going to just show you that he likes trains. That's all it is, right? There's, you know, you know, he's not going to have a story about, well, when I was a kid and my grandma used to take me on the train and blah, blah, blah. No, he just loves trains for the sake of loving trains. Right. Yeah. So hanging out with these two-year-olds was always a blast, you know, singing at the top of their lungs, not caring how they sound, drawing a picture for you that, you know, if you want to like compare it to some other professional artists, it sucks. But that kid is super proud of that drawing. Um, and they should be cause they just made it themselves. Like they, you know, um, so I probably learned more from hanging out with those two year olds than I would have, uh, sitting in the Sunday service. Um, and so after doing that for a little while and not really being able to be a part of the church community, I, and I didn't want to be a part of the church community, uh, just walked away. Like I, I had enough, I, I just couldn't handle, um, not just the hypocrisy, but just the, the attitudes and the, some of the people that I was meeting, they, they'd say one thing on Saturday and do a different thing on Sunday. And it just, I just had enough. It was just too much. And so it was actually when I started playing uh, hockey for a beer league team, um, I was playing here at Prospera and, uh, just starting, uh, I was playing with the volunteer firefighters, a couple full-time firefighters. Um, if you want to see like what a man's actually like, um, like throw some hockey gear on them and go play hockey with them. And you'll, you'll see what kind of person they really are. Um, if they're a genuine person that cares about people, it'll show. And if they're, if they're a jerk, that'll show really quickly too. just men being competitive with one another, you'll discover <laughs> really quickly. And so I started meeting some guys that were just some really, uh, it would, it would be fun to play against them. It would be a challenge. Uh, you you know, he'd say all sorts of things to each other, but in the spirit of competition, but also like, like you'd still care about them. And actually, that's when I met uh, Tyler Olson. So Tyler and I would play against each other, and him and I were friends on Twitter, and that's kind of the only way we really knew each other. And uh, the firefighters team was ending, and uh, they couldn't get enough guys back for the next season. And I got talking with Tyler on Twitter for it, and. Uh, He's like, well, why didn't you come join the team he was playing on, which was the Shockers. And so I came and played with the Shockers. And uh, that's when I met uh, Darren McDonald, who works at UFE. And uh, I met Dusty, who is now up in West Kelowna. Uh, started to hang out with Tyler more. 
And uh, the four of us just ended up spending a lot of time together and walking through some really heavy stuff together. Um, and that's like, that's kind of like my, my brotherhood, especially Dusty and Darren. For whatever reason, I drew really close with those two. And I love Tyler. Like him and I harass each other all the time. Um, but for whatever reason, we just haven't bonded as closely. Um, but it, that doesn't mean I don't hang out with him. Um, he's I'm bugging him to go golfing tomorrow or Saturday. So, and you're gonna have him on on here for a podcast. So I, you know, Tyler's one of the smartest people I know. Incredibly smart and uh, probably the best journalist that I've I've ever met. Um, not that I've met a lot, but um, Tyler's fantastic. But for whatever reason, I just got closer with Dusty and Darren, and that's when uh, you know started looking at things like my own mental health, uh, my own happiness in life. Uh, really digging into some of the heavy stuff that um, the guys, for the most part, don't talk about with one another. Um, I've been in counseling now for, I think, three years. Um, and it's it's surprising how few men are willing to like dig into the stuff that's really hard to talk about because there's this culture among men where it's like you know you have to be strong you know you got to be this macho man and do all the things and fix the stuff and um everyone has to be dependent on you and you can't be dependent on anybody else and um whereas when i started hanging out with these guys and because of specifically because of darren mcdonald i started making friends with other men and uh just ended up i've got a great group of guys that are around me now that have really helped me through some really tough times which i'm sure you're going to start asking me about um but because of that too um really started changing my perspective on faith and christianity and just uh to the point now where like i i'm of the belief that we have one life that when the lights go out the lights go out and that uh this this concept of uh, um, that you have to do good here so that you get something better when you're dead, I have a really hard time accepting that. That you know, I, you have to save all these people so you can have a bigger mansion in heaven. That that seems really counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like a, a good thing to do. You're not necessarily doing it because you want to. You're doing it because you're going to get something better. And so. Um, through through all this, through a lot of conversations, through a lot of nights of of beer and whiskey, um, we've had some really deep conversations, and so it's that a lot of that has caused me to just have a lot of self reflection on what I believe and and where I've come from, what I've learned, and and just uh, changing just and life experience too, and changing that uh, you know make the most of what you have here and now. And don't sit there pining for tomorrow, thinking that that's going to be better if you're not willing to put in the work today. Um, like you be here, be present. Yeah, I think that that is something that I don't know if it's a misreading of or just a, a misteaching, but people forget that you can have hell on earth, that it doesn't need to be um, like Dante's Inferno, which is a description of the idea that hell is a fiery place. Um when I, I'm a Jordan Peterson fan, um, I've got his 12 rules up behind me. And when he talks about what's taking place in places like, um, I believe it's China, where they would take people, um, put them in a freezer, have them hold their arms up, um, and then 
uh, until they were freezing and then take them outside and pour boiling hot water on their arms until their arms started to disintegrate off of their body. That's, that's hell. Um, when you talk about Indian residential schools and uh, Charles Joseph, who is a survivor, and he talks about how um, these institutions would take the children, pile, them, pile their dead bodies into this area, and then they would make the children light the match. Uh, so they wouldn't have to take responsibility for it. Um, that, that's hell on earth, and um, I don't. I don't think you can dispute. I don't think you need an external point in time to be able to realize that um, what's gone on in history, whether it's uh, in Nazi Germany, uh, whether it's Indian residential schools, whether it's uh, Maoist China, these are examples of real hell. Um, when you talk about Yanomi Park and what she describes of what was taking place in North Korea, of people having to sell body parts to survive, this is this is hell. Um, and I believe that that is one path civilization can take. And I believe that there's another path civilization can take where um, we all bring the best of ourselves. And whether or not there's an afterlife or a before life is really irrelevant to exactly what you said. We can make hell here and we can we can make a amazing place here where everybody's able to reach their full potential. Um, my mother has a fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Her mother uh, drank alcohol with her in the womb. Um, ours, I'm really lucky that our society found value for my mom. Uh, she can't work a, a regular job. Uh, she's struggled having dishwasher positions. Her, her value is that she was a loving, loving mother. Mm -hmm. um, that she wanted the best for me, that uh, every step of the way she said, ask a better question. You can do this. Uh, you can be everything that I couldn't be. You can do the things I couldn't. Right. Um, the fact that we have a social assistance system in our country that allowed her to survive, even though she couldn't work, um, that valued her despite the fact that she had limitations. A um, hundred years ago, we would we would do horrible things to these individuals. We would put them into institutions and abuse them and, and assault them uh, for for not being normal. And I think that we're at a time where, I, to me, I just feel lucky that our society valued my mom because I wouldn't be here today if they didn't. And we wouldn't have survived poverty if there weren't these resources. And so just thinking about how other countries in other periods of time would have treated someone with a disability throughout history. I just feel lucky that we're in this time period because she, she's lived her life mostly without prejudice, uh, despite having limitations that other people don't face. And so I just, I feel grateful to be here today. And I feel grateful that our society is structured in such a way that allowed her to exist and to be free. Um, because you look at some of the policies we had with people with disabilities in the past, they didn't value people with disabilities. And we're starting to realize that people with autism have real genuine things to share with us. One of my favorite, most interesting people is Eric Weinstein, and he has autism, but he's a, a brilliant mathematician. And we're realizing that these disabilities, they make perhaps make you different, but they don't make you less than. And I think that that's an important differentiation I, I feel like we're starting to make. And so um, I'm grateful that uh, we're, we're here today and able to uh, share the best of ourselves. Um, but I, I won't uh, ask too many personal questions. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just interested to know, it sounds like your your child also made like a big difference in that moment as well. Can you tell us about like uh, when they didn't show up for your your family? It seems like that was like the that's it. That's the that's the tipping point. So no, it wasn't. That wasn't like I call it the tipping point, but it wasn't like it wasn't like I just shut the door. Um, 
It was a slow process. Sorry, I just meant that. Can you tell us about your family and the value that you, it sounds like you've had throughout. I listened to your interview with uh, Nancy Goodire and you talk about um, how proud you are that your son's making a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us about like what your family means to you? Because it sounds like that's where you found solace. That's where you found a lot of meaning. Yeah, like my, uh, my kids mean the world to me. I've got uh, three kids, um, 16, 14, and 11 are their ages, two boys and a girl. Um, like when they came into this world, just completely changed everything for me. And so um, raising them is, is, hasn't been the easiest, obviously. Just being a father, it's never easy. But um, it's, uh, they bring a lot of joy and happiness in my life. Um, so like my middle guy, Keon, he's, uh, I've never pushed video stuff on them. I've never, I've told them like, if they want gear, there's gear just sitting there, uh, more than, more than what they would get at like their school for their film class and stuff. Right. Like, um, and I've told them like, if you want it, it's there. And so, um, my oldest, he's, he's been involved with uh, a number of video projects that he's done through film class at, uh, Chilliwack senior. And then he actually helped me with the uh, 48 hour film festival for the Chilliwack independent film festival. Um, so we did a 48 hour film submission. Um, and he was my, he was basically my shadow for that whole 48 hours. Uh, even when the Saturday night, so we started Friday night at seven, uh, we're done shooting by Saturday afternoon. And then, um, I was editing Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, and uh, he sat there while I was cursing at my computer because I couldn't get this 360 footage to work and just couldn't find any sort of help for it. And so he sat through all of that um, frustration and, you know, the goods and bads. Uh, and then he helped. Uh, he's an incredibly talented musician too. Uh, both boys are actually. My daughter's starting to get into piano, uh, and she's doing really well with that. So just I'm, I'm not musically inclined. Um so seeing my kids get into music has been pretty cool. And then just hearing some of the stuff they play. Um, like Keon, my middle guy, he uh, he's a part of a band at uh, Imagine High. Um, so he's part of that school this year for the first year. Um, you know, got, got the uh, auditorium just going a couple of times where he's doing guitar solos. And if you, if you know Keon, he is a quiet kid. He wears hair across his half his face almost all the time. He's got long hair. Um, He's shy, um, not overly opinionated about stuff, doesn't talk a whole lot. So then you see him on center stage in an auditorium getting kids like super excited about his guitar solo. That's a pretty cool moment to see as a parent. Uh, and, you know, thanks to this pandemic, you don't get to go and attend stuff like that. So you have to see it online, which isn't the same, but just hearing the audience reaction and stuff when he's doing that in school is cool. And then Keon also runs his own YouTube channel uh, where he does all gaming videos. Um, and you kind of see his personality really come out in that. But I think, I think for me, uh, that's probably the most exciting part to watch is just hearing this kid voice, just, just his voice um, on these videos and, you know, the level of humor that he has and just, uh, his creativity that he's like where he's coming up with these ideas and what he's doing to make it happen. It's, it's fun to watch. Cause I never told him, Hey, you have to do this. This is what you have to do. Um, you know, like he tried out jujitsu for a year and it wasn't his thing and, uh, played minor, um, he was in baseball, both Kiefer and him were, 
uh, kind of lost interest a little bit with that. And so just seeing him find something that he's really excited about with music and, and video is it's, it's always fun as a parent when your kids find something that they're passionate about. And, uh, so yeah, Keon does that. And, um, I think you're going to share the link for his YouTube channel, which would be cool. Cause I always try and like promote his YouTube channel. Like, uh, I did YouTube, uh, I say I did YouTube full time for like a, at least a year. Um, like I went through the whole YouTube video Academy. I signed up for this, um, uh, YouTube coaching. Uh, I can't even remember what it's called now, but it was like video coaching for YouTube to basically try and build, uh, an income from it, uh, ran it for just over a year where I was producing a YouTube video a week. Um, trying to find my voice with it, just trying out a whole bunch of different things with it. Um, and I think I ended up making like $150 for way too much work. Uh, I loved it. I learned a lot about it. Um, and so, uh, him seeing that, uh, I think kind of turned him off a little bit, but you know, I did that, um, I did that for a year and I think I ended up with like just over a hundred subscribers, maybe 150. And so he's like at three thirty or more now. Like so, seeing seeing him succeed at something that I didn't succeed at is even better because it's just like this kid's found something genuine and 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 an audience that wants to see what he's doing. Um, so that's pretty cool to see that uh, he's doing better at it than I was. So um, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with that except to just brag about my kids. So. No, I think that that's so important because I think, and I've mentioned this before, I think we get lost in uh, what do you do? What's your career? What do you bring into the table? And we forget that like the best the best place to be is a parent. Um, I don't know why we. I feel like we struggle with that sometimes, that that's, that that's okay. And I think that creating that space and slowing down and saying like, what do you enjoy about being a father? What do you gain from that? What do you, what meaning does that make for you? Um, is important because, uh, at least within the legal community that I have to, to see and the way they approach things, their kids are the last things on their priority list. And to me, it's like, well, then you've got your priorities wrong because right. that's the next generation. Uh, those people are, are you in the future. Um, when you have children, you're passing on uh, the good, the bad. You're trying to make them better than you were. You're trying to give them the tools. And I think just slowing down and just saying, like, tell us about what you hope your kids become. And and saying for you to say, like, I don't want them to feel obligated to go into film is, again, you trying to leave all the doors open to them. Mm -hmm. Be Reach your greatest potential, whatever you define that as. And... Sometimes we struggle with wanting our kids to be who we weren't or uh, build on our legacy. Or uh, you see like sometimes people who are police officers, their children become police officers and then their children become police officers. And that's that's not against that culture. But when it's just kind of perpetuated and you don't know why you're doing it um, and you don't have parents who just want you to reach your full potential, whatever that is, I think it's important to create that space and for people to just want the best for their kids. And I think just allowing you to share that is so your, your children will be able to listen to this one day and feel like my dad just wanted me to be the best. And that's, that's what everybody wants. That's what I, again, I feel like some of our listeners, they don't have good parents. They don't have parents like yourself who say, I'm going to get out of your way and I'm just going to support you wherever you want to take this. And that's, 
sometimes that's missing. And I think that I'm just grateful when individuals like yourself are willing to share about your family because that's so important. And it's such a big piece of your your life pie that so many want to skip over and get to the, well, what are you doing with this? Or what are you doing with that? Or what are you doing with this show? Or, or how are you developing this? And it's like, what about your family? And I, I don't know if you heard, but like, when I was interview, when I was preparing for my interview with Brian Minter, um, that was one of the things Brian mentioned with his interview with Tim. Is um, I feel like people don't want to hear about my family. Um, like you're here, you're gonna ask me about like my gardening. You're gonna ask me about my business. Um, but my wife has really been like a cornerstone of our business, and it feels like whenever I talk about it, they're ready for the next question. And yeah. when I heard that, I was like, that's that's wild to me because family is the corner. What's that whole thing that we were talking about? The story behind what you see. Yeah. Right. You, people don't know that story. Yeah. And right? just opening that door. And so in my mind, I was like, let's talk about your family, Brian. Like we got nowhere to be. And I don't have like a script of like, we have to go over these 10 things or it's not a good interview. To me, it's like, tell me about what you're passionate about. And he's passionate about his family and mm -hmm. creating that space. I got a lot of great reviews from people saying like, I had no idea about this, about Brian or that about Brian. And it's like, he's done how many interviews, but how many of those interviews are geared towards the same five Right, the topics? story behind the man yeah. instead of what he does, right? Exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us about your journey with, uh, with sharing stories and your understanding of um, messaging? Because I, I like that you brought up Lord of the Rings. Uh, for me, it's Harry Potter. Yeah, um, again, right? Like the, the story of Harry Potter, there's, it's not good unless there's conflict. Yeah. Right? If, there's that, if there isn't that battle between Harry Potter and Voldemort, right? There's no, there's no good storytelling. It's just a kid that went to a wizarding school. <laughs> But there's some sort of inclination people have to belittle these stories, to say people who like, um, whether it's uh, J.K. Rowling, um, whether it's J.R. Tolkien, to like brush their stories off as if they're just fictional, nonsense stories. And it's like, well, they didn't actually happen, but the message is super inspiring. So what are your thoughts on, on these movies and, and uh, this, the message that they're trying to tell people? Uh, like pop culture stuff is huge for me. Um, I have my my aunt to thank, uh, Aunt Colleen. She, when I was a kid, uh, and she probably is the one that really instilled my passion for film too. Um, she was the one that introduced me to stuff like Back to the Future and Superman and Star Wars and Indiana Jones, like the things that I love. Um, I actually just got a tattoo. Um, it's the Goonie skull. <laughs> so it's like th those things are like, they're really important to me. They've been foundational and me being come becoming who i am um so like th those stories are so important like not just that um they're good stories um but you, like you look at things like fan expo and comic-con and um you look at you look at what that creates is that it inspires that next generation to come up with new stories to come up with something that hasn't been told yet yeah it's probably going to be inspired by something else there's nothing new under the sun, um, but it's going to be a new take. It's going to be a new angle, a new point of view. Um, and those stories are just like, like the amount of life lessons that you can pull from them are, are huge. Like I, I'm sitting here telling you about like taking that first step um, and, you know, just making an attempt. And all I picture is Bilbo Baggins running out of the Shire going, I'm going on an adventure. Like that's what I hear and see in my head all the time is this, you know, frail little hobbit that's scared to like um 
you know, even cast a shadow outside his doorway. And then all of a sudden he's running out of the Shire saying he's going on an adventure. Like, that's what I picture. And like, um, if those stories don't exist, I'm not, I'm not finding inspiration there. I'm not finding something to propel me into doing something new. And, um, so yeah, like even for my kids, just, um, it was so crucial for me, like teaching them about star Wars. And I was so mad when my kids started going to school and they found out about episode one, two, and three of star Wars. It's just like, I wanted them to wait till they're way older and just appreciate four five and six. And I was so mad when, uh, some, some little kid told them about phantom menace and it's just like you wrecked it for me. But, uh, like those, those things have become important in my kids' lives now. Um, and not only that, now they've like, uh, like introducing the kids to music. Like my ex-wife was huge into like playing music for them. Um, and that propelled them into finding their own, their own music that they're passionate about. Um, especially like Kiefer, my oldest, he, he's listening to stuff that came out when I was his age that I, I never even knew existed like neutral milk hotel. I didn't even know that what that was. I didn't know that was a band. And now, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with it. And, uh, because of him, because he found something that passionate about that, you know, um, and that comes from just, uh, you know, this whole love for pop culture and, uh, music and yeah. So it's exciting to see that next generation find something that they get excited about because of these stories, either through music, film, books, whatever. Yeah, I think of uh, my circumstance, and it was uh, it was Tobey Maguire's Spider Man that was. Um, I, I just have to call it like a role model, I guess, because um, when push came to shove, in that there's a scene where uh, he doesn't uh, stop the thief, he doesn't stop the perpetrator, mm-hmm. and then his uncle dies as a consequence of that um, of his inaction, and then um, at the downtown subway close to. Uh, Chilliwack Secondary School, um, there was a person who entered who decided they were going to rob the store and there was nothing else I could do other than chase the person down the road and then they got into a car and I chased the car and I was on the phone with 911 and the police officer jokingly at the uh, after I had chased them was like, you probably shouldn't do that. And it's like, right, but I was taught from this show that yeah. there's no other option. It was just meant for entertainment. Right? Yeah. That's what people would say. It was only for entertainment. And I don't, I don't agree with their conclusion. I think that this is how you live a meaningful life. And you can say that it's only a couple hundred dollars. But to me, it was, this is my community. This person, um, and later I found out through having to go to court for it, that this person had done this to multiple different subways. And this had been, become common. And nobody else had kind of stood up. Right. And so at the end of the day, are you the person who stands up um, and tries to prevent these things in your community? Or aren't you? And today, I feel like I do the same thing. I believe in standing up for your community i believe in putting yourself in that circumstance and people can say uh, that's not logical but life isn't just logic it's about trying to be your best self and that was me being my best self and right. i i get frustrated and i don't know how to communicate it well when i when i hear people belittle harry potter or um like lord of the rings and and say these are just shows and not to be taken with any meaning behind them and it's like but this is what for so many, this is they're closer to these shows 
than they are with their family. Yeah. They've watched this show more than they've heard positive encouragement from their family members. So we can't be so quick to say that this is silly shows. Don't pay too much attention to them. Listen to your parents because I didn't have a father. And so these shows were filling some sort of gap within me mm-hmm. that were educating me in some way and teaching me how to be a good person. And the fact that uh, the characters paid such a consequence when they didn't act was a huge lesson to me of the consequences of an action and your who's what's your responsibility as a community member and i feel like i'm grateful when individuals like yourself talk about the inspiration from those because it reminds us of the importance of these shows and i just i don't know for me i feel like a lot of people underestimate uh the impact of these stories yeah like we could talk about like movies especially um you know like i tell people when we really get into like the nerd talk (laughs) is uh like in force awakens when um you know spoiler alert if you haven't seen it not really but when kylo ren um kills han solo and chewie lets out that cry from the and he could have shot him he could have very but he missed and uh just the way that uh, jj abrams showed that like that it was a deliberate miss i tell people all the time like it's not so much that like chewie was like he was mad at kylo ben for killing Han, it was Chewie would have grown up with Ben, Kylo Ren. He would have grown like he would have been there because he was always Han Solo's right hand man. Yeah. So Ben is born to Han and Leia, and Chewie would have been he would have he probably was in the delivery room, right? Like, yeah. and he would have grown up. He would have seen this kid, um, you know, becoming a Jedi and going to be with luke skywalker at the jedi academy the jedi temple and so he would have watched that whole process and then for him to watch this kid that he loved and cared for like he would have he probably would have been even tighter with that kid than he was with han solo he would have like it would have been like his own kid um chewy seeing the kid kill han like i think like that's heartbreaking and so you watch these stories and yeah, people say it's just entertainment. It's just stupid pop culture, whatever they, if they're, if they're saying something negative about it, um, good, good writers, good storytellers will draw from real life experience, right? They'll take something and, um, you might not see it on the surface level, but if you go one step underneath it and understand the story and JJ Abrams did a Ted talk about that, how like, uh, he talked about jaws and how most people see it. It's just this story about a shark that's like devouring people on a beach. Um, but if you look at the, the, what the story is really about is about a father who started a new job in a new community. And he shows the scene of like the father and kid just sitting at the dinner table and just how that's what the movie's really about is this man trying to make an improvement, not only in the community and in his job, but with his family. And so that's what the story of Jaws is really about. And just that was so eye opening for me when I heard JJ talk about like, uh, you know, the story behind the story. Yeah, but that has overlap, right, with the story of Abraham in terms of Abraham. I think he was the one who started uh, like his journey late in life. And then he mm-hmm. was like 40 years old or 60 years old or something. Then he goes on this adventure. And the first thing he experiences on his adventure is like, Uh, I think it was like famine, he's in a desert, like things are not going well the second you start your your life adventure later in life. And I think that when I think of 
um, the Avengers, you see there's parallels between the idea of Tony Stark and Captain America in terms of Cain and Abel. And there's these subtle undertones of Tony is a person who lives for himself. He's got more of those Cain attributes in the beginning of the movie. He's uh, focused on his life, his money, his fame, his attitude towards things, uh, where um, it seems like... Uh, well, there's that line with uh, him and, and Captain America where Captain asks him, like, um, you know, when it comes down to it, like, are you the one to throw yourself on the barbed wire? Like, are you willing to take the sacrifice? And Captain, you know, like if you watch Captain America, um, when he's that little tiny scrawny guy before he actually gets all souped up, um, he was the one that threw himself on the, the grenade. Correct. Right? So it's that, it's totally that, like, what perfect life lessons just there. Like, and I'm not a fan of, like, the Marvel movies. but the, Really? The, well, I'm tired of them. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's become such a machine that um it's and it's regurgitating itself too much that there, there isn't enough new storytelling from it um that's the biggest thing for me right. um, but it's the fact that the, there's this pop culture movie um that draw it's a it's good storytelling because it's drawing from real life lessons yeah, because you think of how Endgame ends and what does Tony Stark do? He's the person who ends up dying. For Takes everybody. the final blow. Exactly. That yeah. changes everything and makes brings peace to everybody. And uh, you like if you start from the first movie and you see his journey through, mm -hmm. um, the torment of knowledge I think is also valuable for people because I don't think people realize how tough it is to become self-aware, to, yeah. to realize who you are um like my partner rebecca she's gotten her parents say they support her education and then they make comments like stop being a textbook stop bringing that around and i don't think people realize that there are legitimate discouraging attitudes that you can bring to people when you say you want the best for them who are you when it really comes down to it and people don't really reflect on those things but i think that education is one of those differentiators that uh, not necessarily formal, but when you start to become aware of who you are, where you want to go, what you want to be, there's those people who kind of want you to stay the same. They want you to, oh yeah, that that, that probably won't work out. You, you probably just want to come back, work for me, right? Or you want to come back and join Save On or wh wherever you are. And they want you to be who you always were. Um, and that journey of leaving the hobbit hole or going out and um, going into the wizarding world, that story is kind of eternal in that you leave and some people don't want to come with you. They don't believe in your vision. They don't believe in your story. They don't believe you're going to make it. They believe it's a huge mistake. You're wasting your time. Um, when I was starting this podcast, it was important to me not to tell anyone um, because and it, it happened exactly how I predicted. People were like, do you really have time for that, though? You have law school. You shouldn't be focusing on this. This is not how you should be spending right. your time. Um, three hours. That's People aren't going to listen to that. They're not going to care. What, what, what are people going to say for three hours? Yeah. Um, all of these comments of like, be more realistic. Do it how I would do it. And it's like, you're not doing it. Yeah. And Which so, is what I was talking about earlier, right? People tell you their thoughts on it, but they're not willing to take that chance. They're not willing to put in the time, the effort, and... And dream too, right? Like, like you've obviously sat and thought about this podcast, right? You've thought about what you want from it. You thought about where it could go. Um, and a lot of people aren't even willing to do like, and not even just their negative comments towards you or someone else that's trying to start something new. Um, they're probably saying those things to themselves as well, which is really sad at the end of the day. 
is that they might have an idea of like, oh, what if I start this business? And then they, that voice that they've expressed to you, it, like, and you know what it's like just for yourself, that voice is probably even louder in their own head saying, this is ridiculous. No one will, no one will support this. Why? Like, you're stupid. Why would you think like, and that for me is, I just, I can't go there. Like it's so detrimental for your own mental health and well-being that um, it's sad really at the end of the day. So for you, like it's, it, it's exciting that you found something that you love and uh, you're going after it. So congratulations to you for like not listening to those voices and listening to the one that you had in your head. Like, no, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to dream. And Yeah. Yeah. I feel like all the best ideas come from people who are just, they get a vision and they chase it despite the naysayers. Um, one of the things I've personally run into a fair bit is people I don't know, insulting themselves to me. Like, I'm like, I think you'd be like a great guest to have on. And I've had people say, I don't know what I would say for two hours or three hours. I I could probably do 30 minutes, maybe. Um, I've had people say, I'm not a role model. Don't, I'm, I'm a flawed person. I'm not perfect. And it's like, I, I never thought that you were perfect. I think you set a good example in this way or that way. Or I think you have something to share where other people can learn from. Um, I imagine you run into that occasionally with other people when you come in and you say I have this vision for how we're gonna do this video can you tell us about how you got passionate about this or something like no 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 no. like I don't I don't know anything I'm just I just work here I'm just trying to make it happen the best I can have you run into that with people where they don't they don't believe in themselves as much as perhaps you believe in what they're doing um there isn't really anything that comes to mind like and I, I know a fair number of like local business owners here in Chilliwack. Um, there's some of the most passionate people I know and, and some of the most positive, like Tyler beverage over at major league Two, um, really knowledgeable guy. Um, but just, just very optimistic. Um, Brit, uh, who owns blossom floral design. Um, even like on her, like really bad days. Um, still like a passion for her business, like just loves it. Um, so I think, I think the people that have been in small business for themselves, they've gone through enough of the bad days to know that it's worth it. Um, and like, even for myself, like I sat through 14 months of movie theaters being closed, my main business being closed for 14 months, zero income from it for 14 months. And, um, still having the belief that that's what I needed to do. And that's what I needed to wait for. And it's still not where it used to be. Um, it's still going to take some time. Like we finally had mandates lifted what last Friday, um, for, so that we can go to hundred percent capacity in movie theaters. And it's still going to take time for audiences to feel comfortable to come back. Um, so it's going to take some time still, but I'm still of the belief that, um, movie theaters is one of, uh, the, key businesses that exist and i get all the time like why are you investing in movie theaters because people just have these giant theater systems at home and like you can just watch it at home and better sound and more comfortable and you know the snacks don't cost fifty dollars and um the thing is with that is people want a shared experience and that's what you get in the movie theater like like i said i you know i've got my my opinions of marvel but um we saw all the Avenger movies on opening night. Um, recently, my daughter really wanted to see the last Spider-Man, um, No Way Home. And uh, her and I went opening night. 
Batman's coming out. I've got tickets for opening night. Um, there's something about like these movies that you love and are passionate about to be able to share them with other people in a room where you're all laughing and crying and taking in the whole experience together. Uh, so for me, I don't, I don't see, um, I don't even see COVID being a detriment to the movie theater industry. Cause if that was the case, um, they'd stop releasing movies into the movie theater altogether. Um, but they're not, they, even through COVID, they're like, we're going to wait to release James Bond. We're going to wait to release quiet place too. Um, because they wanted it in the movie theater first, because there's something about that shared experience. Um, so yeah, um, getting back to that, that negative voice, um, the, the people I know in town are some of the most resilient, resilient people that even through all of these COVID restrictions and things that they've had to go through, um, they haven't sat there going, woe is me. Like my life is over. Why, why isn't this more fair? Um, they get up in the morning and they dust themselves off and they say, well, we're just going to tackle this next problem and we're just going to see what we can do now. And, um, they're probably, you know, some of the most encouraging people and they, you know, and I'm talking about people that I don't even necessarily get along with at times. Um, but they're positive people. They, you know, put the best foot forward and chase after what their, their dreams and goals are. And I, I think that's a common, common theme through most business owners that have started the business themselves is that, uh, you don't have time to sit there and go, woe is me. Cause if you did, you could just, you crumble, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about the, uh, the movie theaters is that some, it's not, you there's something missing from the experience when it's just, uh, every movie is just at home. And like, um, my partner and I have kind of noticed that over because we would have been in one of those groups of like, yeah, the, the movie industry is probably dying and movie theaters are probably going to disappear one day. And now we're starting to sit here and kind of go, that doesn't seem like to be the case because there's something about other people being scared in a scary movie that makes you more scared in that moment. And again, you're in a movie theater in a professional establishment, you turn on the lights, it's not the same experience. But when you're sitting there and somebody else kind of gives a scream or is startled, that gets you a little bit whole. Like now I'm a little bit more, uh, the experience is intensified. And it's the same with other types of movies. When you get invested in the character, when there's a sad scene and you can hear other people having emotions towards that scene, it gives you the, the space to feel that. And some of my favorite memories of movies is when there was a funny scene and everybody else laughed. But when you're watching it at home and it's just you and you don't laugh, then it's not as funny of a scene or it's almost corny or che it's missing something yeah. that um, I imagine the directors, the creators, they had a vision for it. And they said, this is the moment where we're going to make them laugh. This is the moment where a little bit of that stress is going to go away. A little bit of that anxiety of what's going to happen next kind of calms you down. And if you're just sitting there waiting for the movie to happen to you, um, kind of like a robot, you're missing um like some of the energy from the movie, the experience that the creator may have had for you. And as I learn more about the film industry and video, um, there are intentions that go into the mindset of, at this point, we want them to laugh. At this point, we want them to feel sad. At this moment, we want them to feel something. Um, and as a consumer, you kind of go, oh, that was funny. Oh, that was sad. 
oh, that was, and like, you, you don't realize that this is all by design, that what you're experiencing is created by someone else. And um, great comedians are really good at being able to take you on a journey and uh, kind of hit and have punches where you laugh really hard or where you, you get really angry and you're like, oh, I can't believe he just said that. And then he decompresses or she decompresses you in mm-hmm. a way where you're like, oh, now that makes it. Now I'm okay with that. And they're, they're learning how to communicate with you in a way that you're, you're along for the ride. And I think we perhaps lose appreciation for the medium when we start to think that we're the experts, when we're the critics, because uh, you're, you're experiencing something and you don't know what to expect and you can maybe predict the end of the movie. But that doesn't mean that the movie is now stupid because you can predict the end. It's the experience. It's the wave of emotions you're going to feel throughout that that is really a journey. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know how you approach that with uh, creating um, ads, with creating um, stories, with trying to create emotions through through all of your work. What is that like? Uh, I wouldn't say I try and create emotion through advertising. A lot of it's just, uh, especially with movie theater stuff, has been... Um, just uh, kind of. You want people to care, though, don't you? You want people to invest and say, like, this is worth supporting. And so yeah, that is a form of. Uh, the best advertising. It's it's one of the things with my job with the movie theater stuff is it, it's not the most exciting. It's actually it gets kind of boring. And just because it's, you know, it's the same thing. Like if you have a, a regular job that you've been doing for 10 years, you you see the ins and outs of it and you you know how it all works. Uh, so movie theater advertising, the best way to impact people with it is just brand recognition. Um, call out to, like a call to action doesn't work well in movie theater ads. Um, you, you want people familiar with your brand to easily find you, whether online phone number address, um, you like, you just, you're just trying to put your brand out there for people to see regularly. That's the best way to advertise with movie theaters. Um, with what I'm doing with around Chilliwack though, that's where I can start kind of keying in on some of those things that you were talking about. Um, you know, like doing a video with Magnolia clothing boutique on uh, Yale across from just district 1881. Um, just getting her to kind of tell her story about why it's important to shop local, why it's important to support a store like hers. Um, then you can start getting into like the, you know, why she, why she started it why she's passionate about it um like leanne's she loves her store she loves the people that work for her she loves the people that come in and buy clothing from her that's why she gets up and goes and finds new clothing lines and why she shows up at the store and cares so much about it um someone like megan who owns the local space who uh, i'm finally meeting up with today i've harassed her about meeting up for a beer for a while and so we're going to do that later today um like she you i had her she was one of my i think she was the last podcast that i did actually last podcast episode uh last year and she um super passionate about her job and if you follow her online like just super down to earth too um she uh you know she's just an inspiring person that she had a passion for something and started chasing it. And like, you look at the rabbit hole she's gone down. She has three stores now, a warehouse and probably way in over her head. And she'll tell you that, uh, but she's going for it. Um, so it's meeting these people because of around Chilliwack and, um, 
being able to kind of tell their stories either through the podcast um, or through videos. Photos is kind of where most of around Chilliwack is where I do content creation for clients or just regular content on there for myself. Um, photos is I, I try and capture people in their like real raw moment. Um, and so it, it is advertising, um, but it's, I don't know. It's, I'm, it's like, I'm, um, it's like I'm creating a diary of small business in Chilliwack and, um, building this, this library for people to be able to look, this is where we were and this is where we are now. And, um, and so there, there is emotion in that, like it, probably my own emotion too, like my own passion and love for this community. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, around Chilliwack's where I get to like kind of tell more of those stories. Uh, the theater advertising is just, it's become just a, you know, kind of a paycheck. Um, whereas around Chilliwack's a passion. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about working with these people? Are you, this is like a, you show strong emotion towards being able to see um, people in their element. Um, and I think that that's the part where I think of like uh, Bill at the town butcher and people don't want to shop there unless he's there because there's something special about uh, the passion, the dedication that he's brought to that business that gives it a life of its own, that gives it um, the story. It's not just a, another place to buy meat. If it was, it'd be save on foods. There's yeah. something special about what these people bring to life in their business. And you you get that kind of inside look and you get to develop the story. And it's something that um, I'm passionate about. I don't get to interview enough uh, small business owners uh, for my own enjoyment because I think we're so lucky when people find something like Bill did um, with saying like, well, we don't have any, like we've got no local meat. Like why we have meat here? Why aren't we selling it here? And then to say, okay, that's the problem. And then what, 12 years later, still working to make sure that that's protected. And then um, I don't know if people put it together, but like, again, during the, the floods here in the Fraser Valley, um, we were disconnected. But what wasn't disconnected? These small businesses that had strategies, local distributors that they were able to pull from to make sure that we weren't out of food. Uh, Cobb's Bread was another one where they were trying to source their ingredients from different places so they could keep running in comparison to other bigger box places that were like, well, Toronto is shut down, so we can't help you. Sorry, good luck. Yeah. Well, there's like small businesses that were getting products shipped via fishing boat up the Fraser River. Right? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, they're doing everything they could to be able to provide their service for the community. And so you go to the big box stores, they're not necessarily going to do that. Highway shut down, no trucks can get in or out. Well, their stuff's way too big to load it up on a boat and ship it up the Fraser River. Um, so these small businesses were doing what they could to make sure that everyone was getting what they needed. So, um, yeah, but like Bill, Bill's a fantastic human. I've no, when I was a youth pastor, Bill was in our youth ministry. And I've sat through with Bill through some tough stuff and uh, Bill's a just, I just love that man. Like he, uh, and yeah, town butcher and Bill Turnbull are synonymous. Like it's people go there cause they might have like a dozen steaks that are cut up in the cooler. Um, but they want Bill to personally cut a steak up for them. There's just, there I've, I've had him do it. it. There's something special about it. So, um, and even like, uh, bread at blossom, uh, people go in there to see Brit to ask her to make a bouquet for them. 
and she's got other other girls that are working in there that are are equally as talented um but there's something special about having brit make your bouquet for you uh even for me um uh happy hour at major leagues there's something that i all i always enjoy uh having tyler pour my beer for me uh, and before the pandemic hit it was always customary for me to to walk in for happy hours usually friday at three o'clock um tyler would be working and uh, just shake his hand first thing i did was shake his hand because i said to him like there's something special about sitting at the bar and i always sit at the bar at major leagues um is just having uh the, shake the hand of the bartender that's pouring you drinks for the, the afternoon or the evening right and so um there, there's something special about you don't get that at big box stores big box restaurants um these small businesses where people are providing services and, and products to us locally um there's something special about those individuals that do stuff like that like you know you go into the bookman and you get the bookman to find give you a recommendation there's something special about that. Like it's almost like a local celebrity sort of thing, right? Uh, go to button box and have Jeannie help you find a new dress or a candle. Uh, like it's, there's all these different people all around Chilliwack that uh, just make this community really special. What do you get out of like, uh, does it, do they inspire you? Where do you, um, where do you hope to take this long term? Do you hope to continue to grow this? I know the podcast has been on a hiatus for a little while. Yeah. Um, like, what what do you enjoy most about around Chilliwack, and and where do you hope to take it? I love the pod, doing the podcast. Uh, I really do. Um, there's just been too many hurdles in the last year and a bit. Um, I think my favorite podcast I did was with the the doctors from Chilliwack Hospital when we were like in the midst of uh, this pandemic and just talking with them. Um, that was one of my favorite ones that I've done. Uh, just some really hard stories to listen to that you don't know what's going on and to hear it from people that are literally on the front line. And uh, so I, the podcast has been huge. Um, my, the biggest thing for me, like, um, like even today, I brought my camera with me here. Like I do, I, I'm already picturing what I want shot for you sitting there. Um, but I love getting behind my camera and taking photos um just to i don't know just it's maybe it's selfish that i want people to see chilliwack the way that i see it um that they get to see it through my lens and i think there's something special about taking photos and i never was a i i never i still don't really classify myself as a photographer um video is where i got into using cameras a lot and then um when i the first uh, DSLR that I used was uh, I borrowed my buddy Jeff Heath's. If you want a fantastic videographer, photographer, Jeff Heath is fantastic. He lives on the island, but he travels. Um, I borrowed Jeff's uh, DSLR, the Canon 5D Mark One. It would have been the first one, and uh, fell in love with shooting with with DSLRs. And um, and so now that's all I shoot video with. People always. When I show up to a shoot and I've got my DSLRs, people are like, are we taking photos? I thought we were doing video. And it's like, you know, these, it's surprising that people still don't know they do video. But um, so the fact that I had this camera in my hand and I wasn't really taking photos with them, um, but launching around Chilliwack, I realized that it was so much more work. And I knew it would be, but you just kind of best foot forward. Um, 
there's so much work to put out video content on a, on a daily basis um, that it was a lot quicker for me to be able to, you know, in a day I'll hit three, four, five, six businesses, take photos at each spot so that I can bank all these photos um, and I can create a, a ton of content in a short amount of time. Um, and as long as the photos were dynamic and interesting, um, people were drawn to them. And so, uh, it forced me to become a better photographer. And so I think the podcast is one thing that I really love about around Chilliwack, but just, yeah, that selfish reason to kind of showcase Chilliwack through my, through my lens. Like there's something personal about putting your eye up behind a camera, not looking at the viewfinder, but you're looking directly through that lens. There's something very personal about that, um, that I get to share online and you know people don't know that i know they don't know that uh, they don't see it the way i do that there's something like right against my face and i'm trying to show you something that i'm focusing on something that i enjoy and that i love um and then i put it online and people just go oh it's a cool photo double tap it and keep scrolling but for me there's you know there's some heart in that so uh taking those photos and sharing them online i guess or that's the biggest thing about around chilliwack I think that we're so lucky when people like yourself are willing to do that because it's, as I said before, it's so tough for small business owners to find the time. Um, and then there's something tough about self-promotion. There's something tough about selling yourself, selling um, like, hey, come shop at my store, come eat my food, come get an experience from me that I think so many who are entrepreneurs, they want to give you the experience, but they don't want to have to convince you. They want you to, to want to be there, to enjoy their products regardless of whether or not they force you to come in or they convince you to come in they want you to try it and so when someone like yourself is willing to say this is what i see in the business it's a third party so it's like it's more personable um it's more believable uh because you're saying it and um when it's that third party it's not a sales pitch as much i guess right um so there's something about that that allows it to be um more honest that, that comes through i guess differently for other people and so um i don't think that it's a bad thing that you have that lens i think that we're lucky you're willing to share your lens with other people because through starting this i've really realized the risk uh the long nights the stress that small business owners go through uh just to continue doing something that isn't making them rich to begin with and i think about that more and more the willingness to share something with people despite the fact that it's not making you a millionaire that it's not that it's paying the bills maybe um but that you're doing it for another reason like bill started the town butcher for another reason other than this is what's going to make him a millionaire and this is what's going to put him on forbes or something he did it because he wanted to make the community a better place and mm -hmm. when you think of um like sharing the knowledge through the bookman and what amber price is doing is she's raising awareness of the value of reading and and through different avenues not just saying pick up a book she's doing it through different ways where people can hear it and and take it in from a different perspective and and find their way into reading in, in a new way and bringing people downtown like that people are willing to like the the mural festival it's I don't think it's making anybody rich, but it's bringing people to the community and it's it's a new lens where artists or people who are interested in art from Promontory are more convinced to travel downtown now as a consequence. And uh, that benefit for the small business owners beyond just herself is is vast and far reaching. The, the cultural elements and benefits that we get from learning about local artists and what they're, the work they're putting in, I think it, it connects us in a way that 
um, COVID has really tried to challenge and her willingness to continue that um, and adapt it and um, the work that the Creative Commission has done with the Pichacucha events of just giving Chilliwack people a voice is something I've really grown to admire, appreciate and, and see from a, a new lens where um, growing up, I don't know if you experienced this, there was a sense of like, I want to get out of Chilliwack. I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere I, else. I didn't grow up in Chilliwack. So I, uh, did you have that perhaps was, with your community at all? Uh, like I got to get out of, this. I kind of moved around as a kid. So I didn't have, I wasn't in one place for an overly long amount of time. Okay. So once, once I did move to Chilliwack 20 plus years ago, um, it was like, this is, this is home. This is, this is, uh, you know, at that time I was realizing I, I'm going to set roots here. What was it about Chilliwack perhaps that stood out to you? I think it was just the the small part of it. Like it's obviously bigger now and it, it's just going to get bigger as time goes by. But, you know, that the downtown core, um, that it, it's big enough that uh, you can get lost, but small enough that people can find you. That, um, you know, if you want to hide out for a weekend, you can. Um, or if you want to go somewhere where um, people know you, it's not that hard. I think that was the draw is that it's, yeah, just small, but not too small. Right. How do you go about choosing the businesses that you highlight? Because uh, you talked a bit about this with uh, with Nancy, that uh, sometimes they're not ready for you to show up, or, or perhaps you're, you're scoping out the new spot uh, to see if it would be a good feature. How do you go about that process? Uh, winging a prayer. <laughs> Most of what I do in life, I guess. Um, so I have a client list. So I have clients that I create content for on a regular basis, places like Shem, Shem Mountain Golf Course, um, Major Leagues, uh, Blossom Floral Design, Magnolia. Um, I have other clients that are just like month by month. They don't always need stuff. Um, you know, I've done a number of work uh, for the Chilliwack Chamber, um, work for the Bookman. Um, and then like there's people that aren't on the client list where I just um, – places that I, I go or places that I want to check out. Um, sometimes they're recommendations from my daughter. Um, so her and I'll go for lunch or dinner somewhere together and take some photos. Um, so it's, it's kind of just uh, me just checking out Chilliwack and just being curious and um, not just curious, but just very attentive of what's going on. Like um, Chilliwack Kebab when um, before they moved into their spot on Yale Road, just north of the train overpass, just north of McDonald's, um, Little Trattoria's was there, Little Italian Eatery. Loved going there. And they were there, I think they were there before I was running around Chilliwack. Uh, they made this stuff called crack bread, um, which was just like deep fried dough and salt. Like it was, just, but it was so good. Um, so it was disappointing when they closed up. Um, and then nothing was there for a while. And then Chilliwack Kebab opened up. And I remember driving by going like kind of disappointed because I really missed the old restaurant, but then like popping in there and I've popped in there a couple times, uh, just this, uh, amazing, um, I can try to remember where they're from now, Syria. Yes. And so, uh, family run restaurant, uh, like the last time I was there a couple of weeks ago, he was cooking over charcoal outside, smelled amazing. Uh, and just the, the, the look of it, it's just, I don't know. I don't like uh, North American culture where we're like, 
we're okay with like kitchens that are in the back room where we don't see people cooking for us. Um, I want to see what people are doing. I want to see what they're actively involved with cooking the food I'm about to eat. Um, I did a trip to Africa a number of years ago and people were grossed out that we're like, we're sitting outside at these picnic tables and right next to us, they're butchering and prepping the chickens that we're about to eat and uh, cooking over like oil drums with like charcoal and wood. And um, I'm like, why are you grossed out about it? And they're just like, well, it's just, you know, you have to see all of that. I'm like, but you know exactly where it came from. You know everything that they did to that meal for you because it's happening right there. Um, whereas, uh, you know, it's, I won't mention any places, but like, you know, you go to a, your favorite restaurant and you place an order and all of a sudden the food appears. You never saw what they did. Like they could have just pulled it out of the microwave for all you know. Um, I don't know. There's something about uh, being able to showcase a place like Chilliwack Kebab. Um, or I'm drawing blanks now, um, Pabla India cuisine. Fantastic. And the service that you get when you go in there, like, I think that whole thing that we we're talking about earlier, how people get, um, stuck where they are, even if they're unhappy, um, is applies to like, uh, you know, going out for meals or shopping is, well, I'm going to go to this big box store because that's where I always get my clothes instead of like going to a small business and, you know, yeah, you might pay a little bit more, but your quality is going to be better and your customer service is going to be through the roof. So, um, you know, get out of that mentality that this is, you're doing this because that's what you always did and go try something new, try something. And you might find that you really like that a lot more. And so I just kind of take that approach that I, I have for my own life. Um, and I take that approach to around Chilliwack in terms of like going out to find new content and there's times where I, you know, I'll get stuck and I'm, I'll share some of the same content over and over, but like, I'm human. I make mistakes. I, you know, I get stuck too. Um, but then you just got to keep moving. You got to keep going forward. Yeah. I find that that's something that my partner and I have struggled with and we're trying to get out of it, which is, uh, a routine and, uh, getting used to ordering from the same five places and not, uh, I think what our struggle is, is we don't know, like I've wanted to try chilies for a while now. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I would try from there. And I like number 11 on the lunch menu. Number 11. I will <laughs> actually remember that because that is our biggest struggle is we tried, um, uh, young foe. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were like, what do we, what do we get? And so we want to try, especially with a, a faux menu. It's so big. Yeah. So many options, 110 different options. And, yeah. um, those moments of like, we'd love to try it, but we don't want to spend $50 and not enjoy it. And so we want those, um, like I would say that, uh, Indian food is good because you can always get the butter chicken and you can get one butter chicken and then you can try something a little more out there right. as like have a, a safe thing. And then, yeah, and take sure. a risk on the other. And that's the challenge when I think of chilies is like, I don't have a safe thing. And I think that that's the struggle we've run into in trying different places is the hesitation of, well, what if we don't like it? And then we have two meals and now we don't want to eat any of it. But that's a, the experience with life though. You just got to go out there, right? You got to, you got to try. Um, like I think my biggest regrets in my own life is just not, not taking the chance, not making the step that I needed to. Um, it wasn't, I don't, I don't think I can think of anything where I have a regret for actually trying, right? Like, yeah, I might not have liked it, but I don't regret that I tried it. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't disagree. It's just those are the moments where I think we get stuck and then we go, well, we'll just have what we always have or we'll go to our, our staple food because that's what we're used to. And then that's where those new experiences we miss out on and we miss out on, um, I think, as well with the challenge that I hope uh, Skip the Dishes and DoorDash try and overcome is there's no story. There's no pull to this business or the yeah, other. It's all, it's all convenience. Yeah. Right? And um, during these periods, I think uh, to a certain extent, you can expect people are going to order more online because e- eating out is is still more of a challenge than it should be and or that it could be. And so you're going to have more people ordering online. But having that that story of this is why this is like a brief bio of why you should eat at this place um, and having each place do something like that, I think would drum up more interest to try new things, to get people more their their toe in the water in terms of trying new things. Um, and I think that that's what you give people the opportunity to, is to consider opportunities or ideas that they might not have previously, that they kind of get stuck in a shell. But when someone like yourself from Chilliwack says, hey, I tried this and I didn't die and everything was okay, and you can too, yeah. it opens that door because we all get stuck in our ruts of our favorite places, our normal places, our traditional foods, and then we miss out on those new growing opportunities yeah and for me like i get asked all the time like about like i I don't make reviews on around chilliwack it's not a review website i'm not showing up and saying this was great this was great this was terrible like i everything's positive on around chilliwack that was that was one of the main goals when i first started it um so there's places that i've gone to um that i haven't enjoyed and um i've gone with the intent to take photos uh, and do a post for them. But the experience for whatever reason wasn't good. Um, I haven't, I just don't post those. Yeah. Um, So the stuff that you see where I'm saying, like, I enjoy these things, I genuinely enjoy them. I'm not just saying it for the sake of, of views or likes or whatever. Like you're getting the cream of the crop in terms of what, what's good in Chilliwack. So um, if there's happens to be anything in there that people are interested about around Chilliwack like it's I I've enjoyed it so interesting is that ever tough for you because I find I've invited certain people on and they've said no for one reason or the other and they don't see themselves as a good candidate or something like that and I kind of go I wish you saw what I saw like I wish and so is that ever tough where you're like I I had maybe a vision of what this was going to be and then it wasn't that and you're kind of like Oh man, like I wish, I wish it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Ah, uh, that's a deeper question. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think, uh, like expectation is usually like it's a number one killer for most things. Um, yeah, there's only been maybe a couple places that I've looked at that are I hope for something more. Yeah, and it wasn't very, it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could, there's a rabbit hole there, but I'm going to stay away from it. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there hasn't been for the most part, like I'd say 90% of the places I've gone to in Chilliwack, um, end up getting shown on around Chilliwack. Like majority of the places I go to will, will get shown on around Chilliwack because they're, they're good. They're, and I think it comes back to that whole small business owner thing. Um, small business owners want to succeed and they're not going to succeed by 
having a faulty product or service. They're not going to succeed. Their their goal isn't to like open their doors and go, we're going to half-ass it today. Like they, they won't succeed in business with that. Um, and then every small business owner knows that. And if they don't, they're not going to be in business for very long. Yeah. And so maybe that's where that 10% is, is those small business owners that don't kind of just expect people to show up for them again, expectation. Um, and so, yeah, there's only been, you know, a few places that I can think of where I've had an expectation that they'd be something more, but for the most part, I just try and show up and hope for the best. Is it ever tough to have it limited to Chilliwack? Uh, is it ever like frustrating where you're like, I just had this really good experience and all oh, this person would be perfect and they're in Langley. Um, I've looked at uh, expanding like around Chilliwack, if that's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, we did start around Abbotsford. My buddy Jeff, who I mentioned earlier, Jeff uh, ran it for a little while, but it just, it was too much on his plate for him to, and then now he's moved from Abbotsford over to the island. Um, I'd still like to have somebody that lives in Abbotsford that could run around Abbotsford for me. I, I feel like there's, that's my next step with this around sort of brand that I've created. Um, like we have the website, we have the Facebook and Instagram channels, um, like the logo, the branding thing, everything's there for around Abbotsford. Um, and then I'm there as like a contact mentor sort of position to be able to, you know, I have to put some work into that. I've, I've reached out to a few people and, uh, it hasn't been successful, but it's something that I'd like to do, like branching out to around Abbotsford, um, I, I might as well put it out there too. I, um, I'm looking at expanding to around Kelowna. So been starting to make some headway into that. And, uh, you know, Kelowna and Chilliwack were just listed as two of the fastest growing cities in, in Canada. Um, so just kind of chasing after that a little bit, um, with this idea that, uh, Kelowna is different too, cause it's such a, a summer town. Um, but there's still, you know, a lot of people that stay there year round. So um, yeah, so there, there's room for expansion. There's room like, um, the time that I've been spending in Kelowna lately. Um, and I like, it's, it's who I am. Um, I, I don't mind the big box stores. They're not my favorite, but there's just something for me that I really enjoy showing up at a, a small business and supporting them, seeing what they're doing. And just because there's, there's character in it, there's something interesting. And so it's been fun to be in these different communities and seeing how they're doing it there and just their take on things. And so, yeah, there's, there's plans for expansion for sure. That's good. Cause I, uh, I'm having man farms on in a couple of days here and that's probably been the hardest part for me is when you really start, start digging, trying to figure out things about local businesses, what's going on, what's the, what's the great place in other communities outside of your own, you realize how, sparse i i guess i find the information like there's there's a little bit here and there's a little bit there but there isn't like a good there's again there's expedia that doesn't give you the back they're telling you what people have rated up no and there's 
there's too much strategy in businesses like Expedia of, oh, I'll give you this card and just fill me out on Expedia and then I get a voted up. And then it's not necessarily the best places, it's the most voted up places. Right. And that's, there's a difference between the two. And so having those local people able to highlight local places, um, I find myself struggling when I go to, when I want to have someone on maybe from Langley or or from Abbotsford and trying to find those businesses that are the like the, the bookmans of the community that maybe you don't know about unless right. you follow them on Instagram or unless you're connected to people who know about and how important that is to the community if you don't know about that you don't know to have those people on and how amazing and it's almost impossible to ask someone what do you recommend in your community and is that person a leader or a role model in some way for them to be able to they're like well i like going to like this restaurant and it's like they don't know the way you know the people behind the business that make it run and so many businesses don't highlight themselves when they're talking about come shop at my local business they don't say well i'm brian minter and you have to shop here like sometimes they do but not always and so finding out the, the background of the person and maybe what they went through to start the business is is always that that challenge that journey to figure out how did this business start why did they start where did they come from mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah no it's uh it it's turned around chilliwax turned into more than what i originally set it out to be yeah it's so it's thank you i don't i don't know what to tell you but it's yeah I, it's it's cool to be able to tell other people's stories and yeah we're incredibly lucky to have individuals like yourself willing to do that and i'm grateful to hear that you're, you're looking to expand this because i think that the message um, the message of hope for other entrepreneurs, um, the way you open those doors for others, we're lucky. You're also involved in um, the film festival, if I'm not mistaken, and you've helped that. Yeah, uh, Terrasse. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. Uh, so Terrasse is the guy behind the Chilliwack Independent Film Festival. Uh, they just had their fifth year, I think it was. And um, uh, two years ago, Terrasse approached me about getting involved. Um, he knew about me through the Creative Commission. And uh, I was running around Chilliwack, and he just thought maybe we could do something together. And um, and he knew that I was into film. He knew that I wanted to. I had some. I have some shorts that I've wanted to do. And so he harassed me two years ago to get involved with the Forty Eight Hour Film Festival, and I didn't join reluctantly. And um, and then last year during the pandemic, they did the film festival entirely online. Um, so there was no 48 hour film festival part to it. And then this year, um, I think in August, him and I sat down over beer in a fellow craft beer and fish and fishiniato. I, I don't know how to say that, but, uh, he, uh, we talked about, um, around Chilliwack getting involved and then he harassed me again to submit something to the 48 hour. And so I promised him that I'd do it. Um, and I promised him because I wanted to get my, I wanted both my boys involved with it. Um, and it ended up only just being the oldest, but I think next time both boys will jump in now that they've kind of gotten an idea about it. Um, so yeah, um, it's just started with, um, two years ago around Chilliwack, we, we sponsored the event. Um, we, we sponsored a block. So they, they call them blocks where they have a number of different films that play in a block, um, you know, short films or medium sized films. And then, um, so we sponsored a block and then we sponsored, did a award sponsorship where we gave an award two years ago. Um, last year it was minimal that I was involved with it just because of the pandemic and it being completely online. 
Um, but this year, um, Tress got me more involved and I told him like, I, I love what's, I love the whole vibe about the film festival. It's fantastic. I want to be more involved. So I did like a little promo video with him. Um, and then did some Q and a at the festival itself. And then, uh, we were around Chilliwack was sponsors, um, of a block. And, uh, so next year plans are to get more involved. Um, Taras is one of the most passionate guys for independent film that I've ever met. Um, not only that, he's a talented filmmaker too. Um, he's just, uh, just a genuine person that, uh, I think more people need to meet and support, especially get out next year and support. Like there's, there's no reason why that film festival next year shouldn't be completely sold out. It is so much fun. Um, it's so well done. The, the curation that goes into selecting what's shown at the film festival, people have no idea. Um, like hundreds of submissions, like over maybe over a thousand that where every one of those submissions gets watched and then gets selected and then goes through this whole process of like, are we going to have this one or this one and why? And um, So everything is just curated in such a, meticulous way and that all comes because of terrace wanting a really good quality film festival so i think more people need to know about it and uh, i just want to get more involved with it because i love it personally um and i want other people to have the same experience that's fantastic matthew i'm so grateful that you were willing to take the time um be so vulnerable and share uh, your journey through sharing your passion and sharing not only your passion, but other people's passion. And I think that I couldn't agree with you more that I think we need to build up a sense of um, honesty, a sense of vulnerability. Um, it's what I've done the best I can to try and share, um, to get men, women to share their emotion, to uh, be honest about the ups and downs and to have um, leaders in the community share their vulnerability, share their emotion. Um, I, I think it sets a really good example. And uh, people like yourself, uh, people like uh, Brian Minter being willing to share their emotions and to their business, to their community, I think that it brings us together and it, it, it sets the example. And that's what I've done my best to do is to highlight individuals like yourself, because uh, I know you shared um, some of what you were going through online. And I, I can see how difficult that can be. Um, social media is not always a forgiving place. Uh, so to be honest of what you were going through, um, I felt like we were lucky that someone like you was willing to to share that, to be honest and vulnerable. And uh, the response you got was incredibly positive. Um, but we're lucky when people choose to do that because it's not the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do is to post the positive things and leave it at that. And when individuals like yourself go out of your way to learn about other people's businesses and hear their story, uh, we're lucky when people do that because, again, you're sharing your lens, what you're seeing. And um, I think that that brings us closer together as a community. I think it it removes some of the divisiveness we can see. Um, and it, it reminds us of the beauty of each person and the beauty of people sharing what they're good at with our community. So I really just, I truly appreciate you being willing to share your time um, and your stories with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us uh, how you, we, people can connect with you on social media and online? Um, I like... For the Chilliwack listeners, just around Chilliwack, if you can follow and like that on uh, Facebook and Instagram, facebook.com slash around Chilliwack and Instagram.com slash around Chilliwack. Around Chilliwack.ca is the main website where you can get all the info on where to eat, where to shop and things to do in Chilliwack. 
and then myself, like, um, I have my own like Facebook and Instagram that I, you know, if you want to follow me, um, most of my stuff on Instagram is, uh, food based me making, uh, something on the barbecue <laughs> or drinking some sort of beer. Um, but you know, I, my businesses are, that's where I want more people to be interested and invested and, uh, my own personal stuff is, you know, it is what it is. So. Right. And your child's uh, YouTube channel. His channel name is Monkey Man's Very Funny Jungle. Go so subscribe. Hopefully you can link to that and people can go subscribe to that. Yes. Go subscribe. Hit the uh, bell icon so you can be notified of new new releases. And he's funny. Like he he's not doing just straight up like tutorial videos. He's he's actually funny on there. So it's pretty fun to, to listen to him. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Eric.